Welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole. In uh, season three, we are going through all of our favorite bands, artists, records, albums, and all of the accoutrement. In this episode, we have landed on one of my picks. And who am I? I am Mark. I am also joined by my two faithful friends, Eric and Steve. You'll hear from them in just one moment. But we are going to be talking about Tool. And uh, unlike Home Improvement, we are going... Uh, for sure, it's going to be Tool time. There's there's no question. But this episode is not brought to you by Binford Tools. And there will be no grunting. Um, well, no promises. But... I will say that in this episode, we are going to be discussing Tool's discography, history, our personal history, and some of the uh, things that orbit Tool, like side projects and wineries and things of that nature before we get into our track by track. And that track by track will be brought to you by the album Lateralis, released in 2001. But that episode is going to be following this one. First, you have to get a hardcore history of all things Tool before we really immerse you into that particular record. This is Mark. I am always joined by my faithful friends, Eric and Steve. So first, the man, the myth, the legend, the one that really brought me into my Tool uh, fandomonium. Steven. Fandemonium. Yep, here we are. Here we are. Fandemonium, folks. It is a, uh, it's like the Hulkamaniacs. The fandemonium of the progressive rock, frog-gressive rock sound. But uh, it wouldn't be a party if we didn't have the professor, the one who looks down on his glasses, on his nose, with his velvet patches on his corduroy jacket that man is eric all right settle down in the back of the class uh let's get going um again it's kind of like a, we're getting coming up to spooky season here and i think much like beetlejuice i think you you had to say our names three times before we were fully introduced which i appreciate so well done mark i had to conjure you up you know, it was one of those spells uh, that you would find in uh, Beetlejuice. That is a uh, uh, an appropriate reference. Um, did you say? Did you did you say conjure? Did you say conjure? Conjure. conjure. Yeah, like conjure. it was. Yes, conjure. You had to conjure. Like um, that's that's actually get, Mark. That's like the Megadeth song from the '80s called "The Conjuring." Ah, and yes. Guess what, guys? It's time to talk about the news. Did you hear about this? Oh, oh! I, I uh, sound the alarms. What, what, what are you going to tell me about? Oh, well, Megadeth released a new album. That's uh, that's some news, and we haven't talked about, we haven't covered any Megadeth albums, and that's an oversight in my part. But there has been a rash of record releases in the last month, which I think we should hear about. I enjoy and, a rash. Uh, I enjoy a good rash. Yeah, and uh, so does Dave Mustaine. He looks he looks like the human rash. 
But uh, <laughs> he looks like Gandalf at this point yeah, in so his life. Some of some of the news. So we got a couple of record releases and then a couple of other things. One fun, one sad that I wanted to bring up in the news segment tonight. Uh, so there have been a couple of, of records that have come out. Uh, friend of my show, Machine Head, they released a new album called uh, Of Kingdom and Crown. A return to form for them. Their last album wasn't that good. This one is great. It's a concept album. It's uh, loosely based on if, uh, if the band Machine Head wrote an anime, it would be the lyrics on this album. Uh, overwrought, ridiculous, but with some good, great riffs and some good noodling. At any point, so, does Dave Mustaine like cry for Tetsuwa or wh- whoever was in Akira? He doesn't appear on the Machine Head record, but I like where you're going with that. Sure. So then that's, yeah, Machine Head puts an album out about a month ago. Then the next week, Megadeth puts out a new record. Megadeth has been uh, working on a new album for a long time, and it's called The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead with an exclamation point. Not a good combination, folks. No, a great title, but no, it's a, those are three things you don't want. It is, a, I think it's a, it's a good album. Megadeth's quality has been spotty uh, in the last, shit, I don't know, 20, 25 years. But they, uh, he pulls it together enough, just enough to make it uh, worthwhile, usually. Um, this album has a song where he goes to the moon. Ah, yes. Just like he, James he bla- Bond, Moonraker. Exactly, yes. Well, the, he, he does because he... He he goes by a, a constellation. He goes, hello, ladies. Oh, then, instead uh, of hello me, he's saying it, hello to the ladies on this one. And, that's, and, uh, then, the la- and, and, and then the ladies say, hello, Dave. So that's Ah, uh, yes. Hello, me. Meet the real me. That's that's fantastic. Uh, the sick, the dying, and the dead. I think it uh, it's, it, it's in their top. The top seven Megadeth albums is probably number six. There you go. There you go. So that's then uh, the records they keep on coming. And uh, the last one I bring up is going to be a total throwback to season one of Pod Like a Hole. But the next one I bring up is a throwback to two episodes ago where Old Man Ozzy Osbourne's new album, Patient Number no. Nine, yes. came out last Friday. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's uh, that Patient Number no. Nine song, it grew on me. And the, the rest of the record is in that same formula. Guest stars, overly produced, a little bit of auto-tune. But guess what? The man is 73 years old, and I'd rather have him putting forth these efforts than dying. So I I applaud Ozzy continuing to try to put music out with uh, patient number nine. And as we have discussed, Eric's favorite guitar player, Eric Clapton, is on that album. A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. Gone away. And not only that, uh, not only is Eric Clapton on that record, but uh, Ozzy has really leaned into um, looking like Beverly Crusher these days. So uh, good on him and uh, good on for all of those granny grabbers out there. Yeah, he looked, that could be a big mistake if you... Uh... If you go on a granny grabbing spree and he's in the in the alleyway, you uh, or it might be a you know an eye opening experience for you. No judgment here. Yeah, as Eric said in the last episode, watch yourself. Yeah, no, is that a? 
that uh, I, it, it could be, you, you, I, I thought I was going after an old man or an old woman who was an old man, but maybe it was a cat either way. <laughs> and then, Think and twice, then get, everyone. <laughs> Keep your heads on a swivel. Get this. Uh, back in season one, that would have been uh, five years ago. Maybe six now. I can't keep track. We had an episode called The Big Three. And that was about the uh, Skinny Puppy Ministry and KMFDM. And even if you go back to our first episode, one that uh, I, 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 I listened back to it, and I think we could have done things a lot different. But one thing we were right about in that first episode was we were discussing KMFDM and how for nigh 15 to 20 years now, they've been t- nah, not good. You know, they occasionally Raymond Watts, uh, a.k.a. Pig, will show up and try to hold things together for them, but just not good. Not but good. I got to say, not a, I got to say. Cheerleadership, you know? Yeah, yeah, literally, just cheerleaders. K, M, F, D, F. Many songs where they have cheerleaders saying their name. Um, <laughs> but this new album, new album, Hyena. I think it's probably the best thing they put out in 20 years, which is a low bar. But uh, Eric actually pointed it out to, to the, the writer's room. And I dug right into it. And I, I meant to listen to one song but before I knew it. I was done with the whole thing. Yep. I, en- I enjoyed Hyena. What did you guys think of Hyena? Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's weirdly, uh, it's really got some really good moments. It's not like a perfect album by any means, but I don't think they could do that. I don't think they've maybe ever done that, but um, the title track hyena is actually just like a really good kind of high octane rock song. It's, it's solid. And then there's a fun, like uh, whatever that track two is like a throwback to virus where it's a, some like industrial rapping and then you've got some dub on it. And uh, anyways, yeah, it's, it's certainly interesting. That's, that's what I actually liked about it. Mark, I'll let you go next, but before, before I forget, yeah, that track too. I like see Mega or Megadeth, uh, KMFDM, who which actually I, I'm fairly certain there's a KMFDM remix of a Megadeth song out there somewhere. Um, I I like that. KMFDM in the last twenty years has only had one speed. It's the same complaint we had about Ministry, up until the last two records, especially the last one. We're like, oh, Al's found uh, dynamics again. He's writing some slow songs. He's writing some different styles. It's not just riff, 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 riff. KMFDM was the same way. KMFDM was just, you know, just pummel you with the ultra heavy drum beat machine. And him and his wife would, uh, you know, shout their name over and over again. And it was, uh, it just was not good. It was, uh, sometimes it was like a, you know, a parody of what industrial music should be. But this reminds you of their older work on some tracks slower, grungier, kind of like a, a, you can bop your head to it. Um, like I, yeah, I'd say money or virus or godlike, like some of the tracks remind me of that. And that's great. What were you going to say? Mark? Yeah, this record did catch me by surprise. I will be uh, honest, you know, the song hyena, the self-titled track is definitely feels like you've got Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, uh, running through a nightclub, uh, just like they did in Bad Boys, uh, to the sounds of Juke Joint Jezebel. And uh, you will find yourself um, throbbing to that music. Uh, but this record is a little bit of a mixed bag. If you think that you're going to be getting a 
uh, industrial fix. Uh, be ready to spark them up, boys, because this album does have some dub and, uh, you know, takes things slow and low. Um, it's, it's not bad. Uh, you know, KMFDM are not strangers to the whole dub genre. Um, that old reggae, uh, electronic sound, but, uh, if you're ready for it, spark it up, buddy, turn it up. Off the top of your head, house of the dragon or the Lord of the Rings show. Which one do you enjoy most more so far? There's three episodes each. Eric, you Mark, begin. You first. Yeah. Okay. Steve. Mark, I'm, dri- I'm driving. I'm driving tonight. You go. That first. is true. Steve is definitely deserved to be the designated driver tonight. So the House of the Dragons. It is a, in my estimation, a pretty good show. Now it's not like your Game of Thrones early seasons where everything was must-watch TV, where you were so heavily invested in every character and seeing what path and journey that they were going to go on. But I will tell you this. For me personally, I am enjoying the ride. It is more of an intimate, like very singular show talking about the Targaryens and all the accoutrement that uh, follows them. Um, There are aspects of the show that I am enjoying. So if I had to pick, because by default, I am not a Lord of the Rings guy which apparently that show is also a prequel show. I have not tuned in. So I am not a uh, resident expert on which to choose, but I can tell you this. I am enjoying House of the Dragons. I'm sticking with it. And that is my story. Before we get to Eric, I mean, you've, (laughs) you've seen the Lord of the Rings movies at least, right? That is correct. You enjoyed all three of them, correct? I did. I didn't watch the Hobbit movies all the way through. I've only seen one, the first one. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if I need to really continue this, but I will eventually. You don't, uh, the Hobbit movies I enjoy, but only because I'm a Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings nerd. Sure. I'm specifically a Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings nerd, not Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings nerd. Look, I would appreciate the fact that you're a Lord of the Rings guy versus an Avatar guy. If you were telling me that you so are on bated breath for Avatar 2, I'd be like, Steven, we really need to rethink things. Me and Eric would probably have an intervention. I love that the guy that that sat in a cold, dark room all day today, refreshing his computer, watching the D23 stuff is trying to criticize me. If hey. I, if, or if I do not like Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, I, they're part of the Disney family at this point. I feel like I have to at this point, you know? So, yes. Uh, Eric, House of the Dra- so far, three of, yeah. there's only been three yeah. hours of each. House yes, of the Dragons guys. or uh, the Rings of Power. The Rings of Power wins in my book for, uh, like, I guess more engaging. Um I am, I guess I'm, I, I guess maybe I'm neither, uh, a uh, Tolkien guy or, uh, or a, uh, uh, Game of Thrones guy. I do like, you know, Lord of the Rings and I enjoyed the the movies fine. My wife is a super fan, but of the books, she, she barely likes the, the, likes the movies. She, uh, first time, the first time I, uh, so I basically, Eric got married because of me. I helped him get the, yeah. the balls together to to start hanging true. out with his wife, this and um, 
uh, I remember the first time we went over to her apartment, she had the, the, the pewter Lord of the Rings statues and glass cases. Am I wrong, Eric? Or do those exist? I mean, not to cut you off, but Heather is a fundamentalist when it comes to Tolkien. Yeah. Yes. You know, she's yeah. not fucking around. Yeah, she's an originalist. That's my point. Did you still have those have pewters those up? Statues? Those pewters are still yeah. up. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So you went with yeah. you're with yeah. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yes, and and it's it's fun because it's not totally based on a book, although they include characters from some of the histories. Um, but it's kind of like it's a fresh canvas, so to speak. Um, and actually, my my super fan wife is completely good with it too. Um, there's probably less to less discrepancies to piss her off. So <laughs> she's, she's enjoyed, but yeah, I, and, and, I like it. It looks like a million bucks and there's not one single recognizable actor in it, which I know maybe doesn't sound like a selling point, but for something that's kind of a blank canvas, it, 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 it kind of works. It, it's, it, it, I don't know. I'm, I'm enjoying it. That, that is, that is, that is nice. Um, and no, Eric didn't truly get married because of me, but there was enough that uh, there's enough there that if I squint, if I if I need Eric to do me a favor, I can level that accusation on him and try to convince him it's true. Um, but yeah, with the, with the two shows, and of course they release in the same weekend, so we have to compare them. Um, I have enjoyed them both. I really was down on House of the Dragon when it first started, but like I typically do with things I don't enjoy or think I don't enjoy, I watched every episode twice. And by the time I did that, I actually do enjoy it. And I think it kind of, once you, once everybody kind of settles in, if you can get past the terrible wigs, there's some good acting. <laughs> go- there's, there's some good acting going on there. Um, I actually, yeah, I think, you know, even though the, the doctor who guy kind of bugs me, he looks weird. I don't like the, the way his face looks. Uh, yeah. But, uh, Matt Smith. Yeah. He was supposed to be yeah. some fucking aspect of Palpatine and rise of Skywalker. And that all shit got cut out. So. I, he's not yeah, that. I mean, just look like in Doctor Who, he totally just looks like a normal dude. Like it's just that fucking wig and ears. No eyebrows and that brow. Yeah, no like, eyebrows. It makes it yeah. r- it makes yeah. it rough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I I I've enjoyed it. I really like the the old man that plays the king, the sloppy, just sweaty king. Yeah. Um, and I yeah I've been, I've enjoyed it, and the the fact that it's like a concealed story so far is nice. Now, the Targaryens bore the shit out of me almost as much as I'm sure our listeners are bored of listening to us talk about this. <laughs> but, you know, there's a billion other things I'd rather hear a podcast or a, a podcast or a, a show about. Um, they did make a pilot that they scrapped that was going to be the history of the White Walkers, and I would have loved that a thousand times more. But, I mean, uh, they, shit, they, man. Like, I would have loved a young Robert and uh, Ned Stark st- uh, yeah. story. You know, I would have loved that shit. Like fucking two spoons. That's fudge for dinner, folks. Yeah, I mean, this uh, is like vegetables and whatnot. But it has its moments. And that last episode had a, had some great moments. So anyhow, I think I like House of the Dragon more, even though I've really enjoyed the Lord of the Rings show. And I really have. But the one thing that bugs me about it is that the exposition, <laughs> they laid on so thick to try to explain to you who these characters are without telling you who they are. For there's sure. just so much, there's so much like, you know, little Mr. Proudfoot, I swear, if I didn't sit <laughs> you down in a chair and tell you not to go adventuring, you'd go adventuring every day because all of you and your Proudfoot family, you're just adventurers through and through. And before you know it, you're adventuring all the time, no matter how many times I tell you, don't go on any more adventures. And are, that's, are you that's talking about the Lord of the Rings show? 
Yes. Okay, because I haven't uh, taken a look at that, but I will say that um, that Game of Thrones um, uh, show is also pretty heavily guilty of the whole George Lucas history rhymes, you know, that whole fucking shit, you know, they they, they find really like, you know, it's been exactly six years since we last talked about this daughter. And you're like, okay, so I just learned that she's uh, six years older than the last time we saw her. I got it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyhow, uh, yeah, they they really lay on the uh, exposition thick and the, the the rings of power, but they're both good, fun stuff for nerds. Uh, nobody needed us to talk about them for ten minutes to get any more viewers, but what do you? Oh yeah, one more, two more things, three more things actually, three. Uh, Botch put out a new song, friends of the show. Botch, a band we all love. They are a uh, they were a uh, what a math core band, whatever the hell you want to call them. They were metal hardcore rocking band from 20 something years ago they broke up right after they put their best album out we are the romans and every every other band's reunited by now they never have they put one song out and they basically said you're just getting this song because we were bored during covid that's it goodbye there will don't expect a, a tour please and that's fine i respect that i mean that's a those guys are all like five years older than us can you imagine playing that music every night? No, you can't. I can't even no. imagine listening to it every night. No. But I, uh, I like that song, that botch song that came out. I did not listen to it. I will be first and foremost on doing? it. I know, man. I'm sleeping at the wheel. You know, I'm, it's, it's, it's tool time all the time. Minutes, it's not even three minutes long. I, I know. You could have not watched the uh, live action Little Mermaid trailer today t- a second time <laughs> and listen to the Botch song. <laughs> I will tell you, I do tear up every time I hear that part of your world, but uh, I guess I do need to get... Uh, fully indoctrinated back into the botch. Um, yeah, they were a, an botch. enjoyable band. Yeah, and speaking of Little Mermaid, they covered uh, Rock Lobster, so it's all tied together. It's all tied together. It's all connected. So, Rob, another, I hope you're another, listening. Another underwater creature just like a frog. Eric, did you listen to the botch song? Yeah, yeah, it was great. Great. hope there's more, but understand if there's not. There probably isn't going to be, but... You know, that, that led me to listen. Their bass player put out like a, a thing that basically said, you know, there's not going to be another song, but we've been in all these other great bands after all these years. Speaking of which, my band, Russian Circles, just put out a new album. And so I, I went out, I listened to Russian Circles, who I, I forgot I saw them with Neurosis years ago. And we're going to talk about Neurosis in a second. And uh Yeah. Whatever, guy. Russian Circle sounds like every other band that makes me think I should be listening to Mogwai. I'm just like, okay, I should just listen to Mogwai instead. So that's what I think of uh, Russian Circles. That's my hot take. Yeah. And uh, what what's the other offshoot? These arms are snakes and minus the bear. Um, and also the the Narrows, another one. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're not all I like, bad. No, I like uh, these arms are snakes are good. They were good. Yeah. But uh, uh, I tell you what. 
Uh, we are the Romans. Uh, that is a chef's kiss, folks. Yep. We'll probably talk about them at some point. Uh, they were almost made it into this season, but, uh, you know, we, we can't have this last until we're dead. So we had to trim it down. Yep. That's exactly what we said. We don't want to be dead before we're done with this. <laughs> and uh, It would be yeah, great, speaking- though, if you two do carry on and like you have to uh, Ronnie James Dio me. Um, I don't know who you would, but uh, that would be great if you do carry on without me. A hologram? Sure. A hologram. Uh, the band Neurosis, uh, a favorite band of all of ours. Uh, apparently, uh, one of the founders of the band, Scott Kelly, he's always seemed to be on the edge. In these last few years, he didn't seem to be doing too well. Turned out he was doing even worse than any of us thought. He put out some uh, public statement that said he's 100% done with music. These last few years, he's been lying to everybody. And uh, he's been abusing his family and needs to uh, quit manipulating everyone and, and just uh, focus on his family. There's a lot more to it than that. And so uh, then Neurosis says, they, they put out a statement and it said like an official statement from Neurosis. And it was like, Scott Kelly, we've known about this since 2019, but we didn't want to uh, you know, make it a gossip column item. So we just quietly fired him from the band. And uh, we've tried to help take care of his family. And that's all that matters is they're taken care of. Um, you know, what, uh, don't ask us what we're going to do in the future because that's not important right now. What's important is that Scott Kelly's family is taken care of. Uh, our needs are trivial. But, uh, you know, Scott basically destroyed our legacy and our lifetime of work. Uh, this is the end of the message from Neurosis. Yeah. And, and on one hand, a band named Neurosis, I'm not surprised that a guy that helped form the band had severe mental fucking insanity. It's sad. I hope that their family's okay. Um, not throwing all my Neurosis albums in the can because, you know, whatever. The guy, it's, it's a disastrous end, but I'm not going to time travel and cancel all those records that were great. Um, and the other guys that worked on those records, uh, you know, they even came out and said, Jesus, yeah, we knew about this and we we quietly fired the guy and we haven't even toured or put new records out since because we've essentially been done, but we didn't want to publicize why we broke up because that would have made it harder on his wife and kids. Um, you know, crazy guys on Facebook and Reddit being like, Oh, Scott Kelly's a saint. His wife's a bitch saying things like that. They didn't, didn't want to add fuel to that weird internet fire, but uh, yeah, it's sad, sad way for him to go out. I don't know how I ever expected neurosis to end. I guess it almost, it doesn't seem fitting, but I'm like, this is a possible way I could have foreseen, like mental illness destroying some of their, their, the, their whole output uh, for this abrasive band that used, you know, they at times would cut to the core of the human psyche. So I truly anyhow. hope that they aren't finished, though. I truly hope that uh, uh, the rest of the band is just going to distance themselves from Scott Kelly's. Uh, shenanigans and all of his emotional struggles and uh, apparently uh, horrible abuse that he's been doing to his, uh, you know, loved ones Um, just to show them, just to show him more, more so that uh, this band and this work is stronger than that's a good um, point. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way. I think it is stronger than just one guy that was in the band. Yeah. Um, I mean, they always were like a collective, a brotherhood. 
Sure. Yeah, they, they even they debrothered him. They said like this man that we once called brother. And that's yeah. That's, that's like having the Hulkster tell you you're no longer a brother. <laughs> I mean, that would be devastating uh, to be honest. To be uh, kicked out of the Hulk maniacs. <laughs> so that's sad, but uh, it'll still be one of my favorite bands of all time, and I hope that family gets okay. And uh, we'll see if they continue without them or continue with something different. I don't know. Steve on Till sings half the time anyways. Now he can just sing the whole time and get another guitar player. Boom. Yeah. But uh, another sad news. This is, what's this guy from the arcade fire trying to pull here? What's going on there? Uh, I mean, I figured we would save that like big discussion for when we landed on their arcade fire is going to be on this particular season. I'm not changing it. Um, I, no, I feel you shouldn't. No, no, I, I'm still, I'm still a fan. I just think the guy is a, a, He's a creep. Like I even in the writers room, I said I've had friends that have probably done worse, which that doesn't sound good. I'm sorry, everyone. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't need to. I don't think he needs to put put in the dustbin, but he does need to fucking figure things out. And also, it's just more glaring when half your songs are like the equivalent of, uh, you know, happy time, family life is uh, the way to be. Yeah. <laughs> that we're all gonna like make it through together, no matter the pain. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. There is definitely a like a discordant um, kind of message here. You know, like it it did break my heart to hear that. You know, and you know, my wife's a big fan of uh, Arcade Fire, and that's like one of our special bands that we share together. And to hear that sort of uh, behavior uh, coming from somebody who um, really tries to look on the greater good of humanity. And he himself was using his power um, to potentially put anyone in an uncomfortable situation. It's really hard for me to make that uh, connection. Now, I'm not thinking that, you know, Wynn Butler is the same uh, class like Marilyn Manson, where he, you know, on all in, uh allegedly had like a rape room, you know, and, and did some really fucked up shit to multiple women. And, you know, to be fair, those allegations are on Wynn Butler as well for being inappropriate. But I think there's a level of awareness and, you know, I'm not looking like, Hey, not all guys. And it's a tricky subject, but I will say this. Um, and I think we all kind of agreed upon this, the power dynamics that existed probably less than 10 years ago are a lot different than what we have today in today's um, society and culture. And not to say that that's okay, but I feel that um, the women that came forward with these allegations, they should be listened to. Um, they should be respected. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, Wynn Butler did have the awareness level to be able to apologize for his behavior, uh, unlike some of the other folks out there that, you know, when they come up to allegations, they say, well, that's not true. And there's a little bit of that going on here, of course. But I think there is a level of awareness where, where he said, I certainly fucked up. You know, I am aware of the power dynamics that probably existed there. Um it's just hard for me to want to put someone in the dustbin because his music really does mean a lot to me. Um, despite his shitty behavior that he, that he did. Uh, so I'm not willing to cancel him at this point. And it's unfortunate that, you know, they are facing people trying to distance themselves. Feist dropped out of the tour. Um, some Canadian radio stations are refusing to play some of their music. It, it's a tricky situation. And, uh, it's just, just, it's interesting how, yeah. you know, I guess it's everybody's decision to make when this stuff comes up. But I mean, 
It's like, uh, we're not going to play Arcade Fire anymore, but we've let Michael Jackson be on the airwaves for 30 years. Like, what? I don't, I, I don't, I just, I'm, I'm having trouble with the, with the, how we keep score of who we cancel and who we don't. And I do not want to turn this into an MRA podcast. Right. Uh, we'll bring that up again when we talk about the lyrics to, uh, to some song, to a song off Tools first EP. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I just, uh, you know, as far as this goes, I don't want to diminish it to the point where I'm like, ah, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Is it worth d- deleting Arcade Fire? I don't think so. Um, but that's everyone's decision to make. But I just, yeah. if I, I mean, we've talked about this. We covered every David Bowie album. We might as well throw his records in the trash too. I mean, it's just. Uh, for sure. I mean, he's got some allegations of, and you know, being inappropriate for underage groupies, um, even though it may have been consensual. Uh, there are some things that, definitely make you question at the time if it was appropriate. And at that time it may have been in their perspective, but uh, in our framework, it might, as well, it, it might as well have been house of the dragon times. It was a different world. Yeah. So, plugging, plugging like a hole, plug, the, the plug, like a plug hole. that hole, plug that hole folks. That's right. Before this uh, podcast sinks, like the sinking ship, I feel like it is right now. Um, all right, what do, what do we got, Mark? You're not allowed to bring up anything Disney-related. You got anything? Yeah, I got nothing this week, folks. Uh, tell me what you guys are listening to. Didn't, he, didn't have time for a botch song, and I cut him off at the knees with the, no Disney, so he's done. No Disney, no, um, no, Star, no Star Trek. Uh, I might as well be, you know, half man at this point. Well, Steve's really got uh, you under his thumb, Mark. I'd, I'd fight back. I tell you, I don't, I don't no. really know what to do with myself. No Rolling Stones either. Now that you mention it, um, <laughs> Eric, what do you got? Uh, go. This came out a few months ago. Listen to the album uh, by the band Sacred Skin. The album's called "The Decline of Pleasure." They are a duo that does some. Um, I don't know. I guess eighties uh, dark wavy stuff of my bread and butter. Um, but it's a great album. The guy, the guy's voice. Uh, uh, is pretty um it's got some good variations to it and somehow they scored that uh the sample to that 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 peter gabriel sample that that from a sledgehammer on one of their tracks All right. which almost made me fall out of my chair when i heard it um it's it's a really good album it's a lot of fun and you know especially if you like some lost I mean, Eric falls out of his chair on every tuesday so this is you know no different but continue <laughs> true <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I stayed in my chair. That, that would be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I always like it when somebody out there gives some respect to a good old Pete Gabe. Oh, I, I've, uh, been on, shit, I've been man. on a Peter, I've been on a Peter Gabriel kick. Actually, Arcade Fire got me like his his little appearance on that um, final track got me. Uh, yeah, 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 got me listening just to because I I have always loved him, but I maybe took a few years off. And, Dude, uh, the passion us, us... of the Cry soundtrack by him is uh, Chef's Kiss. That, that's some drumming. Uh, let's not let us not forget the nexus of all reality is the Arcade Fire. No, no, no. Peter Gabriel covering the Arcade Fire used in. I'm, I'm breaking Mark's rule here. The Disney movie trailer for John Carter is the greatest trailer for of sure. All time. 
Yeah. <laughs> and someone on YouTube uh, had the wherewithal uh, to be able to mix that over um, the last sequence in Once Upon a Time in the West. Marone, my goodness. Get out of town. That's, oh, that probably that almost that's probably almost as good as the minute by minute podcast. Mark and I are going to start where we dissect John Carter minute by minute. Each <laughs> yeah, I'm ready whenever you are. All right. So there you go. Sacred right. Skin and Peter Gabriel. Those are those are my plugs. Good Next stuff, week. Eric. My plug we already talked about. A lot of new records came out recently. And uh, it's just very cliched of me to promote the new Machine Head album again, but I really like it. Machine Head is a band very close to my heart that just like they, I mean, I half the reason I love the band is because the guy that runs the band, Rob Flynn, is so earnest, like to the point of just being ridiculous sometimes. He wears his heart on his sleeve so hard that uh, it's might as well, he wears his heart in his forehead. But I, I, I get a kick at it, but the guy can just play good guitar and writes great riffs. But uh, I just the new album is so fun. Kingdom of Kingdom and Crown. If I were to say to listen to one song, it's a ridiculous name. It's called Words Like Arrows from the Sky. Words Like Arrows from the Sky. It's the closing track. But uh, if either of you guys just listen listen to one song off that record, the the closing track, oh, it's got this guitar solo. So, oh. Just like the third beer on a barbecue. That's the one, man. Yeah, that's the one. The closing track. I love it. And uh, they'll be at uh, Ace of Spades on December 23rd. And I'll probably buy you both tickets that you won't use. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Come with me. I'll buy your tickets. Um, Anyhow, so that's, yeah, the new machine that I was a lot of fun. And the other thing is that I've been, I'm, I'm continuing at a slow pace. Because I've found a show that my wife and I have promised me to watch together. So we've been watching Mad Men. And I'm almost done with season one. And, uh, you know, like I haven't... I'm years behind on this show. But everybody that praised it, it just... The hype was real. And I've even been told season one's you know, whatever. Like, the, the, that's probably, like, one of the weakest seasons. And uh, I just... The use of music... And this show is great. It's just such a, uh, every episode's like a, like a little movie, like a classical movie. Like it's got nice orchestra, orchestral scores and uh, like, you know, acoustic guitars and stuff. But there's no, like anytime you hear a song in it, it's, it's not going to be, you know, you're not, you're not going to hear an Eminem song in it or something. Like it's going to be a song playing on the radio or like a Frank Sinatra song or something. But the score is just, it makes it feel very like classical and of, of a time. And um, like just the sense of place on that show and the level, the level of detail. This is all stuff that's been said a billion times before, but I'm finally seeing it for myself. Yeah. I, I, I love it. I, I really like it. Makes it. me Everybody so that happy. Praised it. Yeah, everyone that, yeah. Everyone that likes it, likes hearing when someone else enjoys it. So yeah. That, it's, uh, Good gracious. I, like I've been, I've been told it sticks the landing, so I'm not going to be disappointed at the end. And uh yeah, the ballad of Don Draper is uh, quite a uh, a song to see. So I'm glad that you're enjoying it, and uh, it is uh, quite the journey. I mean, it ebbs and flows, and sometimes it does get a little meandering. But yeah, you stay with it, and uh, you, I mean, I feel like that show, just like Sopranos, because they share a common writer in Matt Weiner. Um, 
it's a really good ensemble cast. No character really goes undeveloped. It is a very strong show from uh, start to finish. I really enjoyed that show. Yeah, directed well. It's good. I love it when they berate that Pete Campbell character who I can't stand. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. They really, they really make you not like him. <laughs> oh, and you shouldn't yeah. like him. I mean, he's a little weasel. <laughs> and the yeah. fact that uh, in later seasons you, you enjoy having him around even though you never root for him. It is a weird feeling. Yeah, it's been it's it's been fun, and uh, yeah, look, but yeah, I got to move at the pace. Like my wife and I, we make time to watch it together. That's we're trying to not just blaze ahead. Yep. There's one time where we're like we were both having to do separate tasks, but she was watching it in the other room, and I synced we synchronized our TVs at the same time while we had to do our different things. It's uh, yeah, it's fun. That's amore right there. Um, all right. Well, I think that's all of our plugs for this evening. Um, so I think it's tool time before we get into the history of the band to give all of our listeners a little understanding of what tool is all about. I think it's important that we talk about how we came upon tool. Uh, to, so to start, we're going to start with Eric and cause I feel like his breadth and depth of tool is not as deep and wide as uh, Steve and I's history with this band. Yeah, this is this is one of those times where us not, you know, if Eric went to high school with us, we would have corrected him from string from the course. But uh, for sure, just like the uh, butler from uh, The Shining, we would have corrected him. Uh -huh. um, but uh, un unfortunately, we were not a, like around to correct him, as Steve appropriately said. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I might, I don't know, maybe this will blow your, maybe this will blow your minds, but I, I bought my first Tool album, the Opiate EP, back in 94, maybe my first Columbia House order. Oh, shit. The uh -oh, first Columbia EP. House. That's right. The, back in the first EP. Back he was in 92. OG. And then bounced, and bounced over to Undertow for the, he went uh, over. for BMG. <laughs> Uh, by BMG, so I could do it. You know, my free trial for both of them. I got undertow from the BMG. So by by yeah by by ninety five, I was I was spinning both of them. Um, and I at that point I was in Arizona, and me and friend of the show Greg Greg Walgast both enjoyed them. I mean, I was a sucker for their for their for marketing. Um, the Quay Brothers videos and uh, just the uh, edginess to it uh, def certainly appealed to me. Um, I felt like I had to hide hide the uh, album artwork from uh, my parents because um, it looked like Lurch in a like a preacher's outfit. You well, know, not like that some... the, uh, the the undertow, the one with the <laughs> the fucking porn ad with the uh, pleasantly plump uh, model, if you recall that. Um, oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, the the album cover was just that weird red thing. No, right? I know, but the artwork inside. Anyways, I mean, oh you know, yeah, I that's right. The the big lady. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, anyways, um, <laughs> looking so, like one of my ex-girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of no eyebrows. All right. Sounds like a wonderful one. <laughs> Do we ever talk about how I shaved my eyebrows once on this podcast? I'm sure we. Uh, I'm sure we my did. eyebrows one summer. God, what a terrible look. I shaved, I shaved my bangs once too. I mean, what was I thinking? Was 
It was the summer. I didn't have a lot going anymore. on. Oh, yeah. She was going Anyhow. through some things. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, 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 I had the albums. I enjoyed them. I think I, I did. I, I followed up with, uh, uh, Enema. I, that one I rode my, I think I've told the story in the show before, but I rode my bike to, to Dimple and they wouldn't sell it to me because of the parent of parental advisory sticker. And, uh, which foiled again. Yeah, imagine you know, Randy Sanders it. out there. If you're listening, yeah, I, come on, I really man. hope that was, I hope that was Randy. That <laughs> <been> <laughs> it might've been. And like, I remember too, like, uh, they called my mom, like, like they're like, well, what's your number? I'll call <laughs> they it. called your mom. Like right. you're at the principal's <laughs> office. Yeah, they were like, what's your Randy number? Then. Like, they were like, what's your number? I'll call your parents. You if ever... you're okay with it, I'll sell it to you. Unbelievable. This is Biden's America that we're all living in today, apparently. Yeah. Did you yeah. ever watch Randy when he was on the phone? He would like lean back and twirl his hair. It was uh, uh, For sure. Uh, he yeah, was I, I, the I, I, master I, I, of the uh, one foot up on the register table. Uh-huh. The perch. Oh, yeah. The perch. Yeah, yeah. The perch. So, uh, anyways, Randy, I, I really hope you're a fan of the podcast. I'm serious. We'll have you on. Please. <laughs> I did end well, up getting that hard. album later. I, uh, but um, that was the last one I bought. Um, I strayed from them. Um, I liked, and, and and one thing I noticed and we'll talk about before is whenever I listened, I seemed to, they were a band that I bought, I kept following in, through Enema, but like, I think I just liked the hits. Like I never really dug, dug deep. I, I seemed, they weren't albums I would just put on all the way through. And so you're weird. welcome Welcome to point out the folly of my ways. Um, Which is wild. Just, Tool has always been characterized as dark primus. And so like for yeah, you not to really get deep into them, it just blows my mind. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Always been characterized. I think that's how we characterize them. I don't think you opened up alternative press and they say that, but I definitely know. I actually, I actually We've probably thought that, that too, too, because of the, 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 we'll talk about this more, but the, the big bass presence and um, yeah, like the stop motion videos and the, everything, no, everything, everything yeah. about them, the, the drumming, yeah. the bass presence and the guitar work. It's like Adam Jones like, is Lair's twisted cousin. I think that's, yeah, I think that's all fair. So yeah, I, I, that, that's my history with them. I liked them. I'm enough to buy their stuff, follow them. I've never seen them live and I eventually strayed. Uh, they weren't, they weren't uh, tickling my pickle anymore. So. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny because Eric is such a, uh, typically when Eric likes a thing, if there's another thing tied to it, he will become a diehard uh, guy that likes the other thing. And Eric's the biggest Mr. Show fan I know besides myself. This and the true. fact that uh, uh, Tool were in the early episodes of Mr. Show and they were buddies of Mr. Show, the fact that didn't re- reignite his love has always uh, befuddled me. That's right. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, fuck, man. Out. Like, Maynard definitely has a really crazy sense of humor that I feel aligns with this podcast. And I feel like that's what radicalized me and not so much like his, uh, the music, which is, in, in my opinion, stellar. But it was always his sense of humor. The the sense of humor in this band, my sensibilities really uh, like that's the shit right there. You know, introducing me to uh, dark comics like Bill Hicks, uh, and then opening the door to the David Crosses and the Bob Odenkirks in Mister Show. Like I really do feel like the ground zero really did come from this band, despite like their uh, predilections to being like the band that talks about anal sex in a lot of their songs. Um, it is just one of those things that it, Listen, it, it, 
some yeah. some band some bands write a lot of love songs. Uh, if this band decides they want to write a lot of songs about anal sex, so be it. Uh, for me, like uh, it really did come from, uh, uh, you know, me getting into Primus. Actually, you know, really bass driven kind of hard rock. Uh, then going on to Nine Inch Nails and also seeing a band like Marilyn Manson. Um, but it was Marilyn Manson like that I felt was more cartoony, but Tool was the band that actually kind of like gave me a little of the heebie-jeebies when I looked at the mm. artwork for Undertow where they're all wearing that dental gear and shit like that. I'm like, this band's fucked up. And like looking at their videos, I felt like their videos with the stop motion animation and sober and prison sex was more creepy than anything that Marilyn Manson was doing. I was like, I'm scared of those guys, little, but they fascinated yeah, me. Little, little, they're like Guillermo del Toro, like that, uh, the creatures in that don't be afraid of the dark remake. Yeah. Just little creatures that would crawl around and then point at you. It just, yeah. Horrifying. Horrifying. I mean, and then, there, and, then, and then there, you know, sometimes there would be like a communion moment where they'd peer around the corner. Mm -hmm. it's just, uh, like yeah. That, that era of, you know, it even kind of continued into the lateralis era. They did stick a, I mean, by that point they were mixing, I think they had tricky in one of their videos and then a little claymation creature with him. I'm not sure. Anyways. Yeah, no, for sure. Like um, the uh, themes that they sang about Maynard being this weird, like kind of short presence who his vocals were always kind of in the background. Like musically, you would hear like the drums and the guitar and the bass more in the forefront. And then you really had to like focus in to listen to what Maynard was saying. There was just some aspect about this band that I always felt like there's some mystery in there. And I want to like un uh, uh you know like solve this mystery that they're really trying to, to to give you and so they had my interest as soon as i heard them like and when anima came out in the video for stink fist and we all know that anima turned out to be this smash success it, it certainly is like one of the all-time great um hard rock slash metal records of all time Someone there's no denying that. that what's that, that would be me some would say a perfect album. That would be. Oh perfect. yeah, no, it is. It is. I mean, it we'll, is. We'll, a we'll talk about it more later tonight for oh sure. God. I mean, it's a masterpiece, and being able to be a part of that situation because Undertow, like, I was like, this is a good record, but I don't like. I, I tended to listen to maybe the first three tracks and maybe the last track, Disgustipated, because I was really entertained by Maynard's like uh, version of being this like street preacher. Uh, but for the most part, like uh, Anima, I was like, Jesus Christ, this I feel like my whole uh, worldview on music just shifted after that record. And after that, I was just radicalized. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, also, um, I, we brought up Jason, uh, dearly departed friend. Um, he whenever I think of Tool, I do think of this man. Um, I feel like how we feel about Nine Inch Nails. This is how he felt about Tool. And, um, yeah, it is one of those things that I always hitch him be all in end though. Yep. For sure. He was definitely, definitely, uh, huge super fan. Huge. Uh, and he would, he was the kind of guy that would have the energy, uh, back when the internet wasn't what it is now to dig in deep and try to find meanings of songs. Yep. He would have been the kind of guy that would talk to me about like, well, actually Steve, this song references this philosopher. Yep. That kind of shit. Yep. Um, yeah, that's fun. When I when I do think of them, I think of him, and that's a nice nice memory. Yep. Um, 
Yeah, for me, I mean, definitely uh, hearing. I I didn't hear opiate when it first came out. Uh, under our prison sex and sober. I I remembered seeing the video for prison sex at my grandma's house. I used to stay at my grandparents' house a lot, um, both my parents' sides, and I loved it. I loved staying. I got to watch cable TV all night. I got to do whatever I want, eat junk food. And um, my uncle Peter, I think, is, I don't know, seven years older than me. Probably not even that. Maybe like six. Ah, seven sounds right. Who knows? Who knows? He's older than me, though. He's like a, he's at the tail end of the next generation or the top end of my generation, if that makes any sense. Um, and he used to live with my grandparents. But he would go would do things with his friends. And I, I... I should actually thank him for this. Sometimes I would just go hang out in his bedroom for entire weekends and he didn't give a shit. And looking back, like if my nephew just hung out in my room all the time, I'd probably be like, what are you get out of here? What are you doing? But I would just sit in his room, watch MTV, eat junk food. Um, you know, dig around in his closet and find some good magazines. But, uh, I remember seeing that prison sex video and be like, Whoa, this is unlike any music video I think I've ever seen. I am scared but intrigued. And same thing with the silver video. And then whenever they would come on uh, 98.5, uh, our local rock station, I would get so excited to catch them. Uh, because they weren't like radio hits. They were on the radio, but you're not going to hear them all the time. So when I caught one of those songs in the wild, I was so stoked to hear it. Um. I liked them, but I didn't buy their albums at that time. And then when I was in high school, when uh, Enema came out and the, the Stink Fist video in particular, that song had a hold on me that uh, for Stink Fist to me is kind of a weird cousin of Closer. It was a radio hit in the 90s. It had it was slower. It had weird time signatures. It was on rock radio, but it was not a rock song. And it was about some weird, dark shit. Yet everybody got into it. And I couldn't believe how great that song was. <laughs> I mean, the song um, is, I mean, if you take it from a literal perspective, it's about fisting. And yeah. yeah that's yeah, not exactly just, it, one for the for the masses. But it's got moments of it that are pretty. It's, it rocks. It's just a great song. Uh and, you know, I bought that album, went back and bought their other album in the EP, listened to them all the time, discussed them with uh, Mark and other friends, and just tool, 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 bought a tool t-shirt, just a band in high school that I thought about. And without really knowing it, too, I do think they helped me get into other genres, whether they were pushing me towards them. But Anima has a lot going for it with, there's a little bit of like throbbing gristle industrial noise on it. There's some weird interludes that don't take away from the album, but they're definitely weird. Um, there's some there's some guitar work and uh, tribalness to some tracks and on Undertow that I think are cousins to what would eventually develop in my love of bands like Neurosis even. Um, just a real big touchstone for me. I just died. And I, I've never, <clears throat> I've never like gone away from Tool completely. It's just as you get older, you only have so much time in the day. And uh, but they've always been a band that I really love, and especially their '90s output. Um, yeah, so just 
seeing those early videos in my uncle's bedroom got me into the band. And then when Anima came out, uh, it just turned into a love affair. And uh, even if uh, when, even even if the you know the later albums weren't day and date release moments for me, um, I'd still get to them eventually and appreciate them. So, and now here we are talking about them. Yeah. At uh, eleven thirty at night, and we got a long road ahead of us. So that's well, our history with the band. Mark, can you tell me? Yeah. They haven't had they haven't had much turnover. Um, they haven't. And tell me about the members of the band and a little bit of the history of the band. Sure. Uh, take it easy. Take it. Take it easy on yourself. Don't. Don't. Yeah. Go too you, deep. Not at all. I mean, um, so the major players in this band, we've got Maynard James Keenan uh, on vocals. His real name is James Keenan, but uh, he always wanted to have this persona um, where he adopted the name Maynard, um, but it's uh, Maynard James Keenan on vocals. Adam Jones on guitar. Uh, he had some background working in the visual arts, uh, wanted to actually break through in the film industry. And he did some work in some creature shops, uh, but uh, for the most part, never really broke through and really wanted to be, you know, uh, an artist in that sense. Sorry, Mark, Adam Jones. Uh, really quick. I remember yeah. a behind the scenes video for Jurassic Park, and I believe Adam Jones is like, Worked on that. I don't movie. doubt I could, it. I think he was in yeah, Stan Winston's uh, creature shop. I'm almost positive that he like what was I've, in this behind the scenes thing. You're probably right. Yeah. What I love about Adam Jones is he is in this weird dark band, but every time I see an interview with him, he's like the nicest fucking guy. Uh, it's just he looks like a caveman, uh, and he did well, he, direct he looks, a lot of their early videos with the stop motion animation. Looks, yeah, it looks like he's related to Roger Waters. So yeah, yep. exactly. Yep. Uh, on bass, uh, initially, we had Paul D'Amour. Uh, eventually, after Opiate and Undertow, he did decide to leave because he actually was not wanting to actually be a bass player. He wanted to be a guitar player, but he knew that that wasn't going to happen in Tool, so he left, uh, which was eventually replaced by Justin Chancellor from the band Peach. And then we've got... Think, you yeah, guys go ever think that Paul... I think Paul might regret that. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I mean, um, I personally I mean, like these guys, these guys, these guys aren't in it for the money because no. you can't be if you make music like this, but no. they're, they're probably all millionaires by now. Right. And, I uh, mean, if you think about it, tool like on paper shouldn't have be a successful band. Uh, it, they really shouldn't be. I mean, even though they're amazing songwriters, I mean, they definitely were not, I, at that time, you can't think of any other band that really sounded like them. I mean, you could certainly hear some of their influences. Um, I, you know what? Tool, tools, basically, they're the producers. Yeah. Like they, 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 make, they make these songs that are complex and sometimes mm -hmm. not, not easy on the ears. They take years between albums. Years. Every time, they put yeah. every time they put something out now, it's a hit. And it's almost like, you know, the producer is a movie where they're like, hey, let's make a a a play about nazis that bombs and then it's a hit it's the same thing i'm sure they're like you know i really you know fear inoculum is basically uh seven songs strung out over two hours and you can't tell where one begins or ends but everybody yeah loves it. it's it's kind of like a mainstream uh they they do challenge the mainstream like he's they kind of like remind me a little bit of christopher nolan's work they can do mainstream shit um but also like 
you know what I'm saying? Like where you can make a dark night and then all of a sudden make a tenant or an interstellar, you know, oh, and also their, fan, their, their fans can't, their fans aren't all insufferable, but they definitely can be. So yes, there's an, yeah. there's a Nolan, there's a Nolan through line there. Yeah. Um, and then we got on drums who we like to call the frog drummer, uh, Danny Carey. The reason we call him the frog drummer is certainly in the later albums, he really likes to touch them all and start incorporating a lot of different kind of tribal sounds. Uh, water drums that sound like, you know, a frog is jumping on, uh, jumping on them. When we talk about lateralis, we'll definitely give you some examples of that. Um, but yeah, Danny Carey. With, with, with this band, there's, there's pre and post frog drum for me. And that's yeah. the turn of the century. <laughs> that's, that's when they... <laughs> They metamorphosize into the frog drum brand, the uh, drum band. Absolutely, and I it, it's really the the incorporation of Danny Carey's drum work. Um, but th those are the players. Um, so they really started. They're an LA band. Uh, they started in kind of the late '80s, 1989. Um, you've got Paul D'Amour and Adam Jones. They wanted to break through in the film industry, as most people who move to LA do. Um, and then you've got Maynard James Keenan, who uh, not only studied visual arts, definitely one of the folks that really like Joni Mitchell. And um, uh, he's probably like, what, five foot two or something. He, he's a short guy, uh, incredibly smooth voice. Um, and he was from the Army. You know, he, he was a veteran. Um, and when you think about that, it is kind of interesting. He, I think he went to West point. Um, definitely does not seem like the kind of person who would be in the military. He seems like somebody who would be um, painting soy bomb on his bare chest. And as he's trying to break in through the Grammy back door, you know, but he went to the army. Um, but both Danny Carey and, and Maynard James Keenan performed in that band Green Jelly. And I think they first were known as Green Jello. Um, they're kind of a war type band. Um, I, I can't remember the name of the song like. Hey, Wolfface, uh, your ass is mine. The Three Little Pigs. Come on. Three Little Pigs. That's it. That's it. Yep. Hey, hold, hold on, hold on, point of order. He's 5'7". All right, Mark. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, apparently, we've also learned what Steve's height is, so yes. <laughs> hey, I'm 5'9", I'm, I'm and I'm wearing the right shoes. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, Steve and I are a couple of short kings. Yeah. <laughs> Look, that means you're going to live longer. You know, the heart doesn't need to pump as hard. I'm getting up to the brain. Uh, but uh, Danny Carey, uh, he played with, like, Carol King on a 1993 record. Um, Pygmy Love Circus was another band that he performed in as well. Eric has a couple of their records. Uh, a Pygmy <laughs> Love Circus. I bet he does. Um, <laughs> that name is such a nineties. Like imagine the floppy ear hats and like uh, some fucking <laughs> cargo like shorts. Doctor oh, look. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because I think that Danny Carey is a cousin to Herb. And what was Herb's band that uh, he was in, Eric? Oh, that Major Lingo. Major Lingo. Exactly. Yeah. Major Lingo and Pygmy Love Circus were definitely at the same festivals. Yeah. And around that time, um, so you've got like some L.A. bands that were coming up like Rage Against the Machine. 
Um, so they were bumping up against each other in some of these like intimate clubs. Uh, but uh, Adam Jones heard a uh, tape recording of Maynard James Keenan um, playing with some other band, and he was really impressed with his vocal uh, talent. So they decided, like, let's get together and start jamming. Um, uh, I think Tom Morello actually played. Uh, I, I think he went to actually high school with Adam Jones. Uh, I think they were in a band maybe together called the Electric Sheep. Um, so there was a lot of things going on down in L.A. At, during that time. Um, I, I consider it, it, it on the Mount Rushmore of whatever 90s rock bands there are. There's multiple Mount Rushmores. But if you're going to have one of, um, I don't know, the artistic bands that broke through, even though you really swear they weren't trying to, uh, Tool and Rage would, would be there together. They're, they're definitely kind of from the same cloth. Uh, Integrity-wise, I think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Paul D'Amour, you know, since he was a friend of Adam Jones, um, they kind of just all hooked up together. And uh, Paul D'Amour, even though I think his... Eventually went on to another band. I uh, can't think of the name of it. I'm sure they'll look it up a little bit later. Um, that he went from guitar over to bass. And I think all the players really started to formulate. At that point, they fabricated a story that they formed because of the pseudo-philosophy uh, of lacrimology, um, which... Do you, guys, do you guys know what that's all about, lacrimology? Um I don't know. We don't need to really get into that. Something to do with acid? Most likely. Um, but uh, the reason that they settled on the name Tool is because that um, because of the phallic nature of it. It is a big dick, as they quoted to say, it's a wrench. We are your tool. Use as your catalyst in your process of finding out whatever it is you need to find out or whatever it is you're trying to achieve. And um this band does do a lot of deep reflection um, in terms of outside of, you know, talking about things of such as, you know, child abuse and uh, media desensitizing to the sense of where you're um, in a metaphor, having a uh, hand shoved up your ass. Um, they do try to make you internalize some of the things that we have uh, in our society. Uh, they're a very interesting band in that sense. Um, but they first released a demo, uh, or excuse me, a uh, EP, uh, because they really started to have such a live presence that they were signed by Zoo Entertainment, uh, which, uh, you know, down the road, I think that there was some um, situations between Zoo and Volcano, but we'll get into that when we talk about Undertow. Um, but they released the EP Opiate. Uh, six track EP. Uh, what was your feelings on Opiate, Steve? Oh man, I love Opiate. I listened when I first heard Opiate uh, when I was a teen. Thought it was great, and to this day, Opiate. <sighs> You're gonna hear this a lot from me tonight. I like Tool when they're more immediate, 
which is a problem considering the last 20 years of two hours. But Opiate, it's just, it's right in your face. It's got classic Alzheimer's that just can go. I think Opiate goes right in the file with, with Primus's first uh, two records. They sound of a piece to me, but just uh, Opiate's way darker. Um, but some of the songs off that album have been in rotation for decades. Even when I'm not listening to Tool all the time, I will still go back and listen to the title track off that album. I love the title track. Uh, also, Part of Me and Hush, great songs. I mean, Hush, Hush might sound like when you listen to it now, like a you know a, an anthem for the uh, MRA. Don't cancel me, folks. But in the '90s, I think it kind of had a different vibe to it. Um, I mean, every song on that album, I think, is a top tier song. Uh, the live ones that are just, you know, they went into the the club and just hit record. I think those are great songs. Um, it's raw, but it's still complex. It's a little, it's, it's the loosest thing they've ever done, but you can still tell that they're Tool and the band that Tool is going to become. Um, and yeah, just even, even the drumming, you know, it, it, one constant from Tool from start to finish is the drums are awesome. And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. That that title track though, that title track is one of my uh, favorite songs. I dig it. Yeah, it is a pretty solid EP. Uh, just to correct myself, they did release a demo EP. You cannot find that anywhere. It's called Seven Two Eight Two Six. They released a demo EP in uh, nineteen ninety one, um, but you cannot find that anywhere. But so. Uh, Opiate is generally their first release, but Eric, tell me about Opiate. What did you think of that one? Yeah, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, Sweat and and the title track are two tracks I really like off of it. Uh, Specifically that title track, um, they're really getting into a groove there. Um, There's a little edgelord, uh, some edgelord language (laughs) in there uh, about, you know, raping and such. Uh, it works for the song, which is clearly about, you know, religion and, you know, referencing whoever said Opie to the masses, you know, religion's that, you know, I, I don't remember who said that, but. You know, it's Eric. That's that's funny. You're right. You're dead on. I will accept the Edge Lord nonsense from Maynard because he predated all the other Edge Lords for the most part. And I'm like, all right, when he's doing it, I'll tolerate it. The rest of you, you don't know what you're talking about. You're being annoying. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, I, yeah, I really do like those songs. Um, the EP itself, uh, I think, is a mixed bag. Um, but those two tracks, I do think shred quite a bit. Um, one thing, you know, in, the, in, the, in my re-listen, and I'll just go ahead and establish this now because I don't want to, I don't want to like, I don't want to be negative. Um, but just, just with a critical ear, I mean, there's a lot more great songs that I didn't appreciate that I will talk about in this, but I don't know if I'm necessarily like a tool super fan at this point either. Um, I think there mathematically and technically a really good band. And I think this EP, they, they come out the gate with it. I think sometimes they struggle to find a melody. 
um, uh, I think, or, or like a hook. I think, I think there's a lot of shreddery. Uh, and I think Maynard, who is a beautiful vocalist, I think on, you know, on paper, he's, he's fantastic. I think sometimes the band is building to something like rising action and, and he doesn't, and he just kind of, so some songs, he doesn't match the band in their dynamics, um, even though he can, and he's proven he can. Uh, I will say that you are pretty much right. Partially. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think that sometimes he won't meet the band when they're uh, hitting crescendos and he's not, but I think it's, unfortunately I think it's by design. And I think it's the same reason the guy sometimes, you know, typically when we watch a band play live, the lead singer is front and center, right? With tool. A lot of times like he will be, and it will be the guitar player and the drummer. I'm sorry, guitar player and the bass player at the front of the stage. And then Maynard standing next to the drummer at the back of the stage. And also the way they mix his vocals sometimes are in the back. I think it's some kind of weird oddity that they do because he is a very strong vocalist. I think one thing I like about Maynard, he actually reminds me of a, a, a good soulful female vocalist at times. I'd, I could actually imagine him yeah. putting out R&B records, believe it or not. Sometimes. It's funny. I, a couple of the songs that maybe I wasn't so crazy about his choices, I was like, oh, he's Mariah carrying a little bit there. Exactly. And like he, he shows you that. every yeah. single note he can hit in that scale, uh, which is, you know, impressive, even if it didn't necessarily work for me. Um, yeah. But, but but to your point, Eric, I think that sometimes, so we're, we're aligned there. And yeah, no, I think it's by design that sometimes he zags when you want him to zig. And uh, that's a fair criticism, I think. Yeah. But he's always been his own man. And and uh, even if that's a little, you know, anti-pop to also reference Primus again, that's that's fine. Uh, but anyways, yeah, this, this EP, I think, shows a very strong band um, and with at least two very strong songs. Yeah, the, the title track, I mean, I'm telling you, man, when that, that first bass note, that doon, 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 and then he goes, that choices always have been hard for you, that whole part. Every time I'm just excited to, to hear that song again. Oh, uh, Mark, how do you let feel me ask about you, this? Let me ask you this really quick, guys, yeah, yeah. before we before Mark gets in there. They remade that song like in the last year, right? Yeah, yeah. I thought we were, like, I, I was thinking we were going to talk about that later. Oh, but, okay. But you okay, can bring right. it up now. It's fine. No, my, yeah. my, my only question was like, I, I didn't listen to it. <laughs> So, but well, they, did, fro- did they, they frogged it. They they frogged it up. They, they frogged it. They frogged it, it up. It. They, they, yeah, they, they took did, it to the frog. The frog mix. They, yeah, they, 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 they made it. The yeah, they made it. So the, the version that came out last year, <laughs> it's the version they've been playing live for a long time now, and it's just twice as long, and it has a lot of world drums and you know frog drums. <laughs> it's not bad, but it's unnecessary to me. Listen, yeah, I like. Like I like I just said, like older tool I like because it's immediate. But and they mix in the progressive stuff. Yeah. Newer tool, they take their time, and I don't dislike it, as we're gonna learn tonight. I actually really enjoy it. But I don't think they needed to take one of their older songs and put a newer tool version out there. Just uh-huh. seems unnecessary to me. But yeah, it's twice as long and it's got a hundred percent more frog drums. Yeah. But it still has the it still has the rape stuff in it. Yeah, well, you can't d- get rid of that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was just making like I, I was just I, I was honestly very curious. I was like, oh, I wonder if they, yeah, I wonder if they did a. It's the implication, a, as uh, Dennis yeah, from uh, you know, it's always Sunny would say. Uh, it's, it's worth a listen. 
it's it's not bad, but I'd rather listen to the original. Yeah, I agree. The original is more immediate. The uh, 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 opiate squared or whatever you want to call it um, definitely does feel as if um, we've got Bill Bruford back there as well with Danny Carey. So it's fine. It, it's just one of those things that like it. it's tool does like to do the Bob Dylan thing by taking their old classics and putting them through a new prism. And uh, I appreciate that. But, yeah, but when, Bob, the, when Bob Dylan does it, it's like, it's, it's, I think Bob Dylan does it cause it's necessary. Like if I'm going to see Bob Dylan, I don't need to see just him and his goddamn acoustic guitar. Like the, Bob Dylan's rambling ragtime band <laughs> of his old songs is awesome to me. And I love so, to hear his takes on uh, Last Blood. I, I do love to hear him. <laughs> uh, just check Twitter, folks. Uh, you'll you'll find it. Um, but the thing about Opiate, uh, the album artwork, uh, I just want to say this on record. The new version of the album artwork is shit. I do appreciate the original one. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, I noticed that too. I was like, what happened? Yeah. Um, where the original, I mean, they both have like someone who you would find in Mortal Kombat as one of the uh, penultimate <laughs> bosses that you would fight. <laughs> yeah, but the old one, the old one looks like something Adam Jones made for a Sonny Chiba Kung Fu movie. Yes. The new one looks like something somebody made on their computer for a uh, anime comic. I'm not a fan of the the re-release cover art. I'm not a fan. It looks like shit. Um. And the original both... one looks like a screenshot from a Spike and Mike's festival. <laughs> yeah. I, I love no, the original one. Joe. <laughs> um, a couple things about this record. Um, so I, I love pretty much every track on here. It, it, it goes down smooth. Um, it has uh, a video for, I think hush um, that had them all standing naked. Um, you know, uh, in front of a camera with their mouths taped over with duct tape because they were making a statement about censorship. Um, you've got the beginning of the song Jerk Off. You've got Maynard saying, get that Bob Marley wannabe motherfucker out of here. And uh, then at the end of the song, he's like, we exterminate all of the assholes like you would in any termite or roach. Like in a really like, those are the two things that really stick out with me. Live, they sound crisp. Sounds like a great recording. Kind of reminds me again of Primus's versions of uh, what you would find off of Suck On This. I do like the fact this EP gives you some studio and some live and uh, doesn't miss a beat. Uh, the song Opiate is an all-timer, if you ask me. I had some Christian guy in our high school try to have it from the perspective that what you actually need is religion, uh, which was the antithesis of what the song actually is about. Uh, I remember debating him on the subjects of, what do you think all that rape stuff is all about then? And uh, he didn't really have an answer for that, but I, I do find it fascinating that some folks out there, and that speaks to the Tool fans out there, that sometimes they just do not get the message. Um, and uh, that is uh, certainly indicative of probably of how they view their fans of the meatheads out there that are just looking to break shit. Um, when this band is not about breaking shit, it is about breaking down uh, traditions and norms in not in a destructive, violent sense, but really questioning 
Um, and uh, that message is really lost on a lot of contingent of their tool fans. Um, well, I and- think also uh, that that kid, and uh, I think I remember who you're talking about. Yep. I think also some people want to have their their cake and eat it too, and they're like, "Fuck, this music's really good." But I know they're definitely not down with what I'm supposed to be down with. So let me try to uh, manipulate this to, uh, yeah, be you know, be fit my be confirmation my bias. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, sure, religion's the opiate of the masses, but people really like opiate opiates. Yeah, right? it makes I you mean, feel good, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what it should be about. But yeah, I I do enjoy opiate as a uh, introductory. It wasn't the first thing I heard. The first thing I heard was undertow, and then I found this one. Um, but I really enjoyed it because for a while there, there is some gaps between their record releases in 92, 93 before Anima came out. And I think in 98, well, then, um, then they know 96, 96. Um, okay. So three years. Okay. And, and then they become well known for their gaps. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Five years, six years, 13 years, 13 years. Um, yeah. Yeah. One thing about opiate and undertow is that early Maynard is a great singer. He's a great vocalist. And we're going to talk about that a lot tonight, but at times too, I'm not just saying this because the frog thing and uh, George Lucas got mentioned earlier. There are times where he kind of like sounds like Kermit the frog to me. I don't know. Yeah, he does. Especially <laughs> on undertow, especially on undertow. <laughs> Shit coming blood on my hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking yeah. of undertow, that was that was the next album. So they put out they put out this EP. They probably toured a lot. They probably were. I mean, I know they were, but crossing paths with bands we like, like Primus and Rage, and uh, you know, doing they they ended up on I, I think one of the early Lollapaloozas, maybe um, when Ministry was on it. I might be making some of this up, or it might be true. But Undertow comes out. Undertow has two songs that get decent radio airplay with uh sober and prison sex and that's just also part of the 90s man that was like it's the 90s alternative rock you're gonna have you know bands like king missile with a detachable penis on the radio and a band like tool could get on the radio um but i would get so excited when i heard those singles on the radio did you guys ever have songs that like you didn't own the album but when it popped up on the radio you're just like holy shit yes like it's here like that's the tool songs are like that for me. I was the same way whenever like early Metallica, like ride the lightning or, uh, you know, uh, for whom the bell tolls would come on. Uh, it was great. It's a good feeling. Yeah. It's like feeling that validation, you know, feeling that I'm not alone thinking that these songs are great. And I think that, but, yeah, that's but, that but, but also it is that feeling, but also it's the total opposite of the feeling where right now, whatever I want, I can hear right now back yeah. then you'd have to wait and hope to hear what you wanted to hear. Um, anyways, Undertow came out in uh, what year, Mark? Uh, 
So yeah. And then what happens? Uh, so we got Undertow coming out. Uh, it was produced by Sylvia Massey and the band. Uh, Sylvia Massey also did um, Opiate. Um, we've got uh, some great, great songs. We even have Henry Rollins showing up on the track, uh, the bottom. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Uh, he's, he's on the bottom. Um, it has a different sort of sound to it. Um, you definitely hear the bass in the forefront. You hear the vocals really in the back. And I think that was obviously by design. Um, I think the band really wanted you to uh, sit up and listen. This wasn't a record that they wanted you to just have in the background while you're washing the dishes. They really wanted you to kind of sit up and try to ascertain what was going on here. Um, uh, you've got a pretty great um, reception from both uh, audiences and critics. Uh, they felt that as it was a debut record, it was the only LP that Paul D'Amour on bass actually appears on. Um, it really got positive reviews up and down, um, got played a lot on MTV, 120 Minutes, with prison sex and sober with a very distinctive style of stop motion animation that was extremely creepy all really um brought forth by adam jones the band really did not like to be in the rec in the album uh excuse me in the music videos you do see them briefly i think in the sober video but it is so quick and they're blurred out because of their movements. It really does focus on putting the music in the forefront and the visual aspects. And that really does translate into how they operate live. You know, Maynard really does go towards the back and is in the shadows. It's kind of by design. Uh, later in life, he has an issue with lights. And so he um, really does not face the crowd. He really wants to put himself in a, a particular position that he's able to sell the emotions that he's trying to convey. Um, I remember when we first saw him in the early years, they didn't have the big stage production like they do now. Um, and, and he was out in the forefront. And at that time, they didn't really rely on a lot of lighting effects, but he would dress up but that was more in the anima phase this phase he still probably has the uh, mohawk that is you would find as the villains in last of the mohicans kind of look um you know pretty scary looking uh really he gets in like a ready position that he's going to do some brazilian jiu-jitsu um but this particular record undertow uh it had some controversy with what Eric had referred to earlier about the nude uh, obese woman um, in the liner notes that they actually, in some cases, when they would sell this at Walmart or Kmart, they put just a giant barcode on the front. Um, so sometimes you get the explicit artwork that has the, like the rib cage, and then sometimes you find that in with the uh, barcode. But this record, it's not one of my favorites. Um, I feel like it's pretty top heavy. Um, but at the end of the record, it does kind of drag a little bit. But I always am 100% entertained with Maynard's street preacher um, routine and disgustipated. Uh, 
you know, damn you, let the rabbits wear glasses. Uh, that's that's a lot of fun. Uh, but from like bottom all the way down to disgustipated, there's some good stuff, good riffs, but they're never anything that I can say like, ooh, that's a classic. Um, it's a good record, but I feel that sometimes it gets a little bit sludgy um, towards the bottom half. Not a bad record, but not one that I can really sit down and want to go through all from top to bottom a lot, like I do with Anima or even Lateralis. Uh, what do you think about this one? Yeah. Well, I, I, the sludge is a feature, not a bug, which I think is the second time you use that phrase. And I'll use it one more time tonight. Mm-hmm. I like the back half sludge. I think, uh, again, I think that uh, for me, Tool is a gateway to other genres of heavy music that I enjoyed, like Neurosis or just the Melvins. metal in general. The Melvins, exactly. I mean, specifically the Melvins. And you can hear that in the back half of this album. And it's funny you mentioned Sylvia Massey. Um, you, you bring her up, man. And she has either engineered, produced, or mixed so many artists that are awesome. Uh, I mean, her last thing she worked on was Taylor Hawkins, uh, rest in peace, Taylor Hawkins, his album, but I mean, Turbo Negro, the Melvins, Dishwalla, uh, Exodus, um, uh, Green Jello, uh, <laughs> Godhead, um, uh, Tool, uh, Power Man 5000, Seven Mary Three, <laughs> Dishwalla, System of a Down, um, uh, a band called the Deadlights, probably named after a Stephen King thing. Melissa Etheridge, The Smashing Pumpkins, Porno for Pyros, Foo Fighters, Alanis Morissette, Blur, Bjork, Lee Scratch Perry, Rage Against the Machine, Jewel, The Deftones, Johnny Cash, Tom Petty, Pig Me Love Circus. We'll stop there. Uh, she's uh, done a lot of work. That's pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, no, I'm a I'm a pretty big fan of Undertow. I've got quite a few notes here. Uh, let me get them in order. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, Undertow was. Uh, I think I I connected with that one more than the EP. Um, Sober is just such a good song. I mean, it really is. And that video you talked about. Not to all I will say is like, if they were trying to capture what I would imagine, like drying out in a rehab clinic would be like uh and and turning into like a nightmare that perfectly uh captures that if that's what they were going for um uh crawl away is a great song uh flood kind of goes into maybe their more expansive songwriting but in a very dialed and determined way um I, my, my tool playlist for my listen got four songs from undertow. So there you have it. Uh, it it worked, but even back then I was skipping tracks. Uh, I wasn't necessarily connecting to all the songs, but I was generally liking, you know, half of it. So. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I really, I'm a a pretty big fan of undertow. But I feel like Undertale is a, a, a natural extension of Opiate, and I like that version of Tool. This is them at their most immediate, just, just being a rock band. Um, and, yeah, I think the first, like, four tracks are, are pretty pretty goddamn strong. Um, and, yeah, they, uh, like we talked about, 
sober and prison sex are great sing, uh, singles. Uh, that line, waiting like a stocking butler, is just a lyric I've always loved. Um, the, the the end of the album that does get a little bit more sludgy also does kind of get more progressive. And I think like on songs like Flood, you can definitely hear the band they're going to become on the next record in, in a good way. Um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy Undertow a lot. I, and yeah, the, the bottom with Henry Rollins on there, that makes sense because they used to tour with Henry Rollins and I am a Henry Rollins guy. Despite the fact I don't listen to a lot of his music, I love his spoken word work. So him doing some spoken word work on a Tool song, that works for me. Uh, it's just a, it's a good record. I think it's a good rocking record. Mark, you're right, it is, it is front heavy. But I think that's because the songs in the front half are way more in your face and just songs that get in, get something done, and get out of there. And then the back half with Flood, uh, even like the middle section of the title track, and definitely Disgustipated, more experimental, more uh, progressive, and they kind of drifted. They, they, they do drift a little bit on the, on the back half. But I th- I, in my opinion, it's balanced enough to where I can sit through the whole thing. Yeah, no, that's for sure. Um, this was also around the time where they were really starting to catch fire. Um, you know, they were on the Lala, Lala, uh, how does Eric pronounce it? Lollapalooza. Um, it's called Lollapalooza, but and we've known that since 1993. Lapita, dapita, dapita. Yeah, but Eric pronounces it like an Indian tribe, like Lapuza or something. Like, I, I I'm trying to be respectful, guys. I'm trying to be respectful. It's, it's a word that's hard. I think is it's what Eric's. To, it's, it's harder to say the wrong way than it is the right way. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> but ever since Eric said that, I'm like, Spock over here, fascinating. I, I think it's extremely fascinating of how he pronounces that. I mean, there, um, just one more point I want to make on Undertow before we move on. Sure. Is is just like I really, I think it's a great album. I love that uh, the Ribcage album cover. I think it has a very good sense of uh, what it's trying to do and a sense of place and like a feel of uh, isolation and darkness. I. The production is a little muddy at times, but never, never detracts. I think they meant that on purpose. And um, yeah, I just think that that back half, it might drag for some people, but I think there's really good nuggets buried in there. There's, there's some great uh, slower sections, some heavier sections, some riffier sections where Adam Jones shows that he can just like really crunch a guitar if he wants to. And I definitely think that, you know, my appreciation for like I could put I could put songs like Flood and Undertow on and be like, yeah, at the same time, Neurosis was doing albums like Souls at Zero. And I could see why I love both of these bands at this time. They seem to have a, a, a kinship. So Undertow is good. It, it's, it's great in my book. No, well, is that what you just said? They're like kind of like. That's that's kind of the the people that really do connect with progressive rock is like, uh, you know, are 
is the journey the fun part for you right like seeing where they go um and i i think that's awesome but but, and, but, but to that eric I love progressive rock, but with tool, I don't always want to go on the journey as we will discuss later. For sure. Yeah. Yep. Um, but as I was saying, this band was really starting to catch fire. They're getting a lot of MTV play. They're starting to be played on the radio, um, as they were opening up for such bands as, uh, who, who did they open up for? They opened up for like Fishbone and Green Jelly and Rage Against the Machine, Corrosion of Conformity, or the Rollins Band, White Zombie. They were starting to really come into their own at this point. Um, it, even they opened up for Primus for crying out loud. Um, they were even moved from the second stage to the main stage on Lollapalooza, or Lollapalooza, as we all say. And they even had Bill Hicks come in and introduce them. And Bill Hicks... Uh, when I saw him on the artwork for this next record that they did, Anima, as another dead hero, I was like, what's this all about? And even on that last track, Third Eye, you get a sample of one of his comedy bits. See, I think drugs have done some good things for us. I really do. And if you don't believe drugs have done good things for us, do me a favor. Go home tonight, take all your albums, all your tapes, and all your CDs and burn them. Because you know what? The musicians who made all that great music that's enhanced your lives throughout the years real fucking high on drugs (laughs) and this band opened up a whole new world of comedy for me uh with introducing me to such a man another dead hero as they call it bill hicks uh this man helped uh shape my worldview my perspective on things his speech on this is just a ride. I really do try to keep that as my mantra when things start to get out of control. Uh, I do really like to tell myself this is just a ride. And it wasn't, if it wasn't for this band and introducing me, I'm sure that I would have stumbled and tripped across Bill Hicks at some point in my life. But this band was a gateway by introducing me to such a person who had such a very different perspective than I was ever uh, informed of when it came to comedy. And that really came to light when it came to uh, the record Anima, who, as I said, this album was the departure point for them. This is the record that really solidified their place in the pantheon of not only hard rock, but metal. Um, Every fucking track on here is an all timer. Um, Now, it does, I will say this, it does fall into the um, classic rap uh, kind of uh, formula where every other track is kind of this experimental or a skit. And not to the skit where they're like... Not every other, it's like every, for every three tracks, there's a a little weird... Yeah, I mean, I think, so you got... Track one, Stink Fist. Track two, Eulogy. Track three, H. And then it goes into like every other track after that. It does go into every other thing is either this goofball, like, um, you know, a Hitler speech, but it's actually a recipe for making cookies without eggs um, or, you know, static noise or a, uh, voicemail recording of a French landlord saying, I hope that you fucking die, just goofball shit. And it, it, 
but I'm not saying that's a detractor from this record. It just has its own, it's creating this world on this record. And, um, I'm, uh, fully involved in it. This is the record that was produced by David, but, uh, Bottrell or Bottrell. I think that's how you pronounce it. And he did work with Peter Gabriel. He did the production work on, um, Peter Gabriel's fantastic score for the passion of the Christ. And it's very percussion based and, uh, he's done a lot. Um, but, Anima is an all-time record, um, but we've got Paul D'Amour. He decided to amicably leave. He wanted to pursue other things. They did a, uh, you know, an audition. They had Scott Reeder from Caius come in. They had Frank Cavanaugh from Filter come in. Um, Eric Avery from Jane's Addiction. Uh, the bass player from Pygmy Love Circus, uh, Shepard Stevenson, came in. Um, to all audition, but they gave it to Justin Chancellor, who was a member of the band Peach, and they weren't really a well-known band. Tool did a great cover of one of Peach's songs called You Lied, which is phenomenal. It's great. It's a great song. Tool definitely put their uh, fingerprints on it. It's great. But Anima comes out, and it comes out with this really cool album artwork it has this lenticular case. It's got like this weird, like TV looking thing. And if you tilt the, the CD, it looks like the eyes are flying for it. And, you know, tool were definitely trying to create an entire experience for their listener. It wasn't just the music. They're really trying to spend a lot of time in the artwork. You can even go through the artwork and put it in front of that lenticular and see various things move are great. Stink Fist was their first single. Got limited airplay because, you know, it's called Stink Fist for crying out loud. I mean, that would be like Nine Inch Nails coming out with their first single called Fuck You Like an Animal. And so they had to change that to track number one. And, uh, well, uh, it still did an amazing amount of airplay. Every song on this record made it our way to our local radio station. I think it really did. Um, but this is the yeah, album. Maybe, that maybe really not. Put maybe not the last that. two tracks, but, uh, but still. Yeah, yeah. most of them. Um, uh, this is where me and Steve saw them live. Uh, it was amazing. It, like I think when we saw them, he came out uh, dressed in a wig and a dress. And they opened it up with Hooker with a Penis, and that song is hilarious. Um, and just kind of talking about those OG fans who think that Tool were selling out because they were getting too big, um, top to bottom. This, <laughs> I, uh, I had a note. I had a note about that song. Uh, I, that song is great, by the way. That that that's a that song is a catchy. Shredder, uh, yeah, exactly. but some. Well, I've got some, the, the cadence of the delivery of the yeah. words. Some news for you, buddy. But, yeah, but sometimes, sometimes, Maynard, his lyrics could have been written by like a menset genius, and sometimes they're written by like a thirteen-year-old in the back of a school bus. 
if that that is part of his genius. I exactly. I, that's exactly. I appreciate I think, that. Exactly. Yeah. He can be a he can be very uh, juvenile too, uh, or edgy or edgewardish. Or it's like uh, it's like master's level like academia or pedestrian like notebook burns. Like I don't know. It's, Yeah, uh, one thing, Mark, um, I don't know if you're done yet, but I wanted to bring it up. No, go for it. You guys jump in. Well, David Bottrell, yeah, Peter Gabriel, but also, I mean, King Crimson, that's why they picked him. These guys are big King Crimson guys. The reason I'm a King Crimson, we're probably all King Crimson fans. Tool has a lot to do with that. I mean, King, my love for King Crimson, and I do love King Crimson, is uh, David Bowie and Tool. Like, those are the two guys that got me into King Crimson by way of Tool saying, you should listen to King Crimson, by the way, our album was produced by one of their guys, and also we're going to go on tour with them, and then David Bowie saying, oh yeah, Robert Fripp's on all my records. And I'm like, oh yeah, great. Um, and I could definitely hear Adam Jones's use. A- Adam Jones is not a noodler or a hyper deft finger wizard like uh, Eno is. Not Eno, I'm sorry. Uh, Robert Fripp. But Robert Fripp and Adam Jones do both look at the guitar in a way of creating shading and tones uh, in similar ways that I think is, you can definitely hear the influence there. Uh, Yeah. Betrell produced King Crimson albums and also that most recent uh, Mastodon album, which uh, has grown on me quite a bit since they came out last year. Uh, I've got a lot to say about this record. It is, it, it's, it's, there's quality there. There's nostalgia, there's songcraft, there's beauty, there's the fact that it's one of those albums that, yes, if you take the interludes out, every song could be a band's best song. I truly believe that. Uh, but before I talk forever, Eric, what, what do you think about this one? Well, yeah, this is my last outing with Tool until now. Um, and I didn't, it wasn't the quality of this album that kind of made me lose my way, just my taste in music and and then where they went after this, just not exciting me as much, but this album is good. It, it, it is good. And I think your, your claim that it is probably their best is fair. I love the patchwork style to this where it's, you know, samples and, and like we call them skits, but you know, whatever, uh, found audio, uh, a couple songs and you get some weird shit. Like, I think that that absolutely works, makes it a kind of a nineties milestone. Um, and uh, I mean, the hits on this are great. Um, and I, I know you're going to get to some of the songs. The title track, I will just say, like, that definitely was the first time I ever thought about the long-term re- repercussions of environmental disasters. Uh, I remember, like, that picture that it paints of Arizona Bay, Learn to Swim, all that. Um, Really, the song's about how much he hates L.A. <laughs> not so much. It's like not the like uh, Randy Newman. Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> All, right, you, all right, you get the trophy. OK, that's good. But uh, it's it's not even like super environmental. It's really about how much he hates like fakie 90s L.A. But um, that image, I think, made a difference for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, that that. that it's probably their best album. I mean, I, I would probably get on board with that. Um, 
there's some songs that uh, they're, you know, they start going down roads that uh, just, you know, enjoying fine, but not absolutely like even this time, I think I only pulled maybe five songs for my playlist off of this one. Um, but great songs. Uh, anyways, solid record. Now, perfect record. It's a perfect record. It's uh, the, 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 the skits and the interludes on a lesser album sandwiched between lesser songs might be detractors. But the quality of the songs in this album are so good. If you wanted to stick uh, interludes of Mitt Romney reading the, uh, the phone book in between a song like uh, Eulogy and uh, H, I'd be fine with it. Because those it's a songs chance are, to catch your breath, catch your breath yeah. before the next thing. They're, the songs are so good, but uh, yeah, it's just it, it's. I, I love this album as a teenager. I liked it as a uh, adult, and now as a grain forty-one-year-old, I go back and I listen to it, and I'm like, my God, I've always loved this thing, but the quality is just amazing. Um, it's like I can hear. I can hear the Swans. I can hear the Melvins. I can hear King Crimson. I can hear Throbbing Gristle. I can hear the Police, for God's sakes, in this album. It's such a good blend of uh, different genres. Uh, yeah, there's there's incredibly hard parts, heavy metal parts. There's also wonderful m- melodic parts. Um, I mean, you just you've got. Like songs like H and Jimmy and Eulogy all have goosebump moments that are about the melodies. And there's some quiet and some soft yearning in them. Uh, I mean, like in Eulogy, you've got the, uh, the you claimed all this time that you would die for me section. Wonderful. Uh, Danny Carey's beat while Maynard says that. Awesome. H has, uh, it, it kind of brings it down a little bit, but it has this like future vision of proggy tool, but at the same time is extremely emotional. Um, it's got that bit with the, uh, you know, when, when the walls come down, uh, that, that, that section of lyrics uh, reminds me of the police in a good way. But then right after that, Adam Jones unleashes not necessarily a guitar solo. It is a guitar solo. But the way he does guitar solos is like he alters like the shade and the mood of the song. It sounds like a force of nature. Um, it's great. Like Adam Jones is like a really ethereal guitar guitarist. Uh, he 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 can he can knock out a good riff, but he's more about tones and shapes and uh, colors. And when he does the air quotes solo. It doesn't necessarily take me from point A to B as much as it changes the temperature of the room I'm in, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, the song, the title track is great. The, the Third Eye song has a blue, the, 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 Bill, the Bill Clip, Bill Hicks clips in it is great. And what I like about that, that Third Eye song is that song's 13 minutes long, I think. And it never bores me. And it, it's immediate to me the entire time. And there's many things that happen in that song. Even, even when that song is just like a swirling wind effect with drums, tribal drums beating. 
it sounds interesting. It doesn't take its time to be interesting, even though it's 13 minutes long. And then, I mean, you could take... If every song on this album was garbage, but it still had 46 and 2 on it, I would say a near-perfect album. Because 46 and 2 is one of my favorite songs ever written. quite a long amount of time. There's something magical to that song to me. Uh, it starts sounding like one thing, and then it ends sounding like this other thing. But the start and the end of it sound like mirror images of each other. Uh, the bass work on it is incredible. It's definitely my favorite Tool song, and it's probably a top 20 song of all time for me. Like 46 and 2. I, I can never tire of that record or that song. Yeah. Danny Carey's got a, he's got a drum roll in it that just knocks the house down. And it kind of has a shades of herbs drum roll in the Southbound Pachyderm. Yes. And, um, it's there's a, song a part that in that whenever... song. I mean, not to cut you off, but there's a part in that song where uh, they all lock in together. That one, exactly. I mean, yeah. I could be listening to it for the 500th time and it gives me goosebumps every fucking 40... time. 46 and 2 has a moment like that, and also Stink Fist does for me, where they lock in. Yeah. Stink Fist, that part where he says, like, I don't know what the lyric is, but he says, like, yoif! And then the band goes, dun da dun da dun da dun da You know that part in Stink Fist? Yeah. That always, that always gets me. And but then 46 and 2, and two it sounds like there's, like, an engine ready to take off mm -hmm. in that song, you know? Adam, Adam Jones, like, it does a guitar, like, slide, and then they all just come in together. Yeah. Uh, 46 and two is amazing. I, I just, I, I just love that. song. we we're prone to hyperbole on a podcast. Where we talk <laughs> about our favorite things, things that get already. us like, yeah. Yeah. But like, honestly, if I was like, Oh, okay. You're telling me you have a gun to my head and I, I can listen to one song forever. 
46 and two is in the running. I fucking love that song. So much. <laughs> uh, I've always good. loved it. Well, I, I just, uh, a I've couple always, things. I, Go ahead, Eric. I was, I was just going to say just, I had a couple notes about this song. I'm not about to marry it in a civil ceremony or anything, but it is <laughs> fucking beautiful. It's a great song. It is a great song. Uh, but, um, a couple things I noticed is like, uh, the shadows part when Maynard sings is actually an example of him, like needing the music where it needs to be, which, which I, you know, I, I appreciate. So I know he absolutely can do it. Um, and then the, uh, the fact that it's structured around that baseline, that's basically doing yes. harmonics. Um, that is so good. And it is actually a formula that I noticed post Lateris. They rep- try to replicate, you know, and they'll they'll expand it into like 16 minute songs. But it that whole like building off a of bass harmonics thing, um, I feel like it originated here and it, to a perfect effect. Well, that, that's that's that two things I want to bring up. Good point, Eric. One, the tool does not hide the bass guitar. Even on undertone opiate, the bass is thick and chunky and produced and mixed to the front. And there again, there's some primus stuff there. But they also do let the bass guitar be the guitar sometimes. Like, it drives some of the songs. Definitely on this one. And also, it's interesting that you mentioned that in the future they do that over and over again. I think that 46 and 2, which lyrically is about transforming. A lot of their lyrics are about transforming. And this is a band that on this record is transforming. And definitely becomes a different band on the next three albums than they are on the first three albums. So... Anyhow, 46 and two, I will leave my wife for that song. Mark, how do you feel about this album? Did you, I mean, oh, you, you already told us you love it, but you got anything else to say about it? I just, no, I can't I mean, say enough good things about it. It's a, it's a love fest for me. It, it really is. I think that uh, you guys have echoed everything. I mean, uh, the title track, it's both um, scary and funny. Uh, I think that's a great trick that this band can do. Um, it certainly uh, is. They can do it now, but they kind of stopped doing it. But I'll, you know. Yeah. I, mean, I think after, now they've after, gotten really serious. After, after, after this album, it, see, this is, this is the perfect Tool album to me. And also a near-perfect record in that it's technically proficient, it rocks, and it's funny. Mm-hmm. Beyond, beyond this point, Maynard actually splits those three things into three bands. Yeah. The... Technically proficient is Tool. Uh, here and there, the rocking happens in perfect circle. And yeah. then the humor goes to Pucifer. Yep. And I wish they would have... I, I liked it better when it was all just one package and it was this band right here. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I know that Pucifer's latest record does get not as funny, that it does have that existential like um, crisis feeling. I mean, that's... I think that's the name of the record. Um, but I, I do miss this part of tool where, you know, learn to swim. I'll see you out in Arizona Bay. I mean, all of that was all referenced from, you know, a Bill Hicks, you know, um, well, even yeah, hooker bit. with a penis. I can never, they can never write that song now. No, no, not at all. I mean, and that's the shit that I love, you know, fuck you, buddy. I mean, it's, uh, great i mean that this record is so much fun i mean it's got its moments where it does go introspective but it does have a sense of humor and i love how it ends uh third eye is an amazing closer i love the bill hicks stuff of 
Today, a man on acid realized that all matter was energy condensed to a slow vibration. Like, that shit's in my memory. And um, unfortunately, the band did have to uh, have a little bit of a layoff. I think this record was released in 96, and we didn't really see anything come out until like 2000. At that time, uh, there was a little bit of what's going on with Tool. Um, they weren't really touring. They had a situation with the record label, Volcano Entertainment, um, who was the successor of Tool's by then defunct Zoo Entertainment that they released off of Undertow. And as all things tend to happen, uh, there's litigation and the band themselves were not very inspired to go back into the studio and start working on new material. So at this time, they weren't really on an official hiatus, but they really were not motivated to go and produce any more new music under Tool. So there was rumors that they were going to be breaking up uh, despite them putting out a very strong record that sold very well. Uh, so at this point, Billy Howardell, uh, who was a guitar tech, both on uh, the record for Anima and one of their touring guitar techs, he started writing some material. And uh, you can actually see Billy Howardell in the Nine Inch Nails uh, closure documentary because he also did some guitar tech work for them. He was a roadie. Uh, but on the side, he was writing some music. And so, uh, you know, at that point, he approached Maynard to be like, well, here, let me show you some of the stuff that I've been working on. Maynard was pretty uh, interested in being a part of that. Uh, so that's how a perfect circle came to be. And at that point, uh, they had, I think, uh, Tim from Primus uh, perform with them. Uh, I don't think Danny Loner really toured with them. Steve, you saw Perfect Circle at the very beginning of their formation. They played here in Roseville for crying out loud. Um, That's right. I saw them. I saw them at Big Shots. Big Shots. Uh, yeah, I saw them at Big Shots with, when Herb was in the band. Yeah. Um, and I saw them again, I think, with you at the memorial with Snake River Conspiracy. I did, but I the first time that I saw them was when they opened up for Nine Inch Nails on the Fragile Tour, and at that point, their first record, Merida Noms, had already been released, and that was like early 2000, maybe like, it was around that time. I think it was the summer of 2000, um, but well, yeah. Well, before we fall down this rabbit hole, do you want to talk about them now, or do you want to talk about them after we talk about Tool? And we can talk about side projects a little bit later. Um, so, yeah, that's where it, uh, Maynard got himself into, uh, whereas Adam Jones, he went to um, go play some music. I don't think he was on any recordings. He may have been on like one al one or two albums uh, for the Melvins. The Melvins opened up for uh, Tool during the Anima tour. We saw them uh, play at the Memorial Auditorium, and the Melvins were... Uh, boot off stage, despite the fact Maynard came out to introduce them, saying, you know, this is a band that we really enjoy. I think your guys are going to shake your hips to them, give them a chance. Here's the Melvins. And people were just like, fuck this. Yeah, um, tool, tool like to, they like to bring out uh, artists that uh, the band, uh, the audience would probably be bitches about and, yep. and boo and then later get into. Yep. Which I, you know, as a 17 year old, I was like, the Melvins, what is this? 
And yep. now I've seen the Melvins like 27 times and they're, you know, I'm surprised I didn't name my kid. Yeah, I'm surprised I didn't name my kid Buzz. But, uh, <laughs> you know, also, you know, when they when they brought out Tomahawk on a tour. Yep. Yeah. The, Fuck, uh, man, they were eviscerated. Yeah. And uh, Mike Patton didn't make things any better by the fact that he antagonized the Sacramento audience by uh, showing that he's wearing the Lakers jersey uh, right after a a big playoff loss back when the uh, you know the Kings were actually oh my uh, god yeah oh that that was fun but they also a uh, tricky tricky didn't go over too well either nope um uh, but yeah what are you gonna do but I know yeah, opening tool. up for Tool man you you're gonna earn your stripes that night if you're that band you're you're gonna uh, their their audience is not forgiving uh, to doing something different. Well, that's, Hopefully that's, that's changed. Well, uh, yeah, and I think it has changed because I think palettes are more broad now. Yeah. But in the early, in the early, the late nineties and the early aughts, the the meatheads that were there for the riffs were not having the patience for other things. Not at all. Uh, whereas Danny Carey, I think he did a little bit of uh, work with um, Jello Biafra and some of the other stuff. I mean. Uh, down the road, like Danny Carey shows up on like a uh, record with Skinny Puppy. He was showed up on um, their reunion album, The Greater Wrong of the Right, because uh, he's a big Skinny Puppy fan. Um, it doesn't, doesn't surprise me. I feel like him and uh, Kevin Key are uh, cousins somehow. Yeah. A, they're, big they're dudes awesome. who drum. Big dudes who drum. Yep, exactly. <laughs> um. So they did uh, release something in 2000. Uh, I think it was just to kind of keep uh, throw some meat at the at the fans. Here it was a box set called Salival, and it had one disc was uh, all of the collection of their music videos up to that point, and then the other disc was some of their live material, like a reinterpretation of H, or was it H or Jimmy? I think it might have been Jim, or no, it's Push It. Excuse me. And they had a cover of Peaches You Lied, which is fantastic. Uh, version of No Quarter. Um, and, and during that five-year gap, when there maybe four-year gap, I mean, me and Steve would troll the internet looking for any kind of tool material that we were not familiar with. And so we came across like some live versions. Uh, there was one in particular, uh, it was a Caius cover. It was awesome. Had Scott Reeder actually come out and play it with him? Uh, Demon Cleaner, Scott awesome. Scott Reeder. Yeah. Yep, yep, very that's, good. That's, that's, I mean, let's get back to them introducing us to bands live. I learned of Caius, who had yep. uh, Josh Homie from Queens of the Stone Age. I mean, eventually we would have became fans of the Queens of the Stone Age on our own because they, you know, they hit the radio. But uh, I first heard of them from Tool, from yep. uh, Scott Reeder and Caius. Mm hmm. And then um, the other one that I listened to a lot was their version of uh, Ted Nugent's uh, song Stranglehold, which is funny because Ted Nugent's a fucking despicable person, um, but that song is an all it's fucking great. And yeah, Strangleholds great. Um, and they do a great version of it. Um, there's some no other quarter. like cover no, versions no that I've never heard them do. Um, I've heard them do No Quarter, which is an all-timer. You Lied, I've heard them do that. Um, they've done King Crimson, B-Boom. Uh, I don't think I've heard them do that. Soundscapes, uh, Commando, which is a Ramones cover. Soundscapes is a Robert Fripp uh, song. Uh, they don't do a whole lot of covers. Uh, they do a Deathlurks cover called Some Days It's Dark. 
They do a Rush cover, Passage to Bangkok. Um, they've only done this song once, which is Holiday in Cambodia, which is a fantastic Dead Kennedy song. So I'll try to see if I can find a version of that. Um, and then another Peach cover, Spasm. So they don't really do a lot of covers, but when they do them, uh, they do them well. I think it would be a pretty cool. Would be cool if they covered uh, Peaches of- oh, sorry, sorry, uh, by uh, President of the United States of America. I agree. No, no, no. Peaches, the the singer. Yeah, the, oh, sure. The, yeah. <laughs> well, Eric stepped all over me to say that uh, I, I think it's appropriate that I remind everyone that on the new Megadeth album, The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead, Megadeth covered the Dead Kennedys' police truck. Hello, me. Meet the real me. Which is, uh, uh, it's a good cover. And also it's amusing because uh, Uncle Dave has definitely become an old libertarian uh, in the last, ever since 9-11. And having him color, cover a uh, Jello song is very, uh, that's funny. So, but anyway, back, back to Tool or Peaches. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what they were up to. I mean, and up next, they decided to, uh, January in 2001, they did announce a new album. Uh, and at that time, it was called Systema. Encephalale or something like that, which turned out to be a big fugazi. Uh, They were trying to make sure that the whole thing wasn't going to be leaked on the interwebs, and it actually turned out to be the album Lateralis. And that is the album that we're going to be talking about, so we're going to skip right over that phase. Uh, We'll get into that business when we talk about that album. So this um, is a good, good, good pausing point. Then let's discuss uh, two things. One, uh, the song you lied was uh, a cover of the band Peach, right? Yeah, that was Justin Chancellor's band, mm-hmm. and and Justin Chancellor was in Peach, but then Paul D'Amour went and he was on the Replicants album, correct? That's right. Yep. Yep. And the Replicants uh, were a band of, uh, I think, a guy from Failure, mm-hmm. Paul Diamore, a guy from Weezer, and then another guy. Yeah, that and was Matt was, Sharp. That's right. Yeah, and then just one one album of covers. A far superior superior album of covers compared to one we will talk about a little bit later. Uh, Eric, I don't know if you had time to visit it, but Mark, you, you own... I bought it at Best Buy for four ninety nine. I really like that replica style. What do you think of that? It's really not bad. I mean, uh, they do a version of Paul McCartney's "Silly Love Songs." I mean, it, Maynard's only on like what that one track. I don't think he shows up anywhere that, else. He's on but, that one track. Yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, it's not bad. I mean, it's a good curiosity to, if you kind of want to catch them all. If you're looking in the Tool orbit. It's it's definitely probably I think essential for that collection. I think you have to have that if you want to have them all. I was going to say I have a vivid memory of that album uh, sitting in the passenger seat of Steve's Camry, passing by Paisanos and listening to that Gary Newman cover on that. But it's actually it's a pretty good like hey pod like a whole this is your life uh, cover album. I mean it's got it's got that song with Maynard with doing a wing song sure. But it's got T-Rex covers. It's got a Sid Barrett cover. It's got Gary Newman. It's got the Bellway Brothers, uh, David Bowie. 
It's mm-hmm. got the Pink Floyd cover, the Ibiza Bar, which I think is off the uh, the Moore soundtrack, soundtrack. Yeah. And then it's got Dirty Work by Steely Dan. So, man, you got your Mark heads on there. <laughs> so I, mean, I, I think that, re- that that Replicants album is a good cover album, in my opinion. Uh, so, yeah, Lateralis comes out after Anima. And then uh, Perfect Circle, uh, those a uh, couple of records come out and, and help bide time before the next tool album and we'll, we'll go into those in a little bit at the end of the show here uh, but the next tool album is was it Ten Thousand days is that it Ten Thousand days it came out in 2006 um at that point i was already starting to going to other avenues of music them i got it at best buy i like the fact that you could kind of flip up the artwork and uh, get some 3d glasses out of the uh, album artwork but aside from that like the song vicarious was great uh zombie was pretty great um i mean even like maynard's favorite song that he recommends people listen to or try to get into tool is on here it's called the pot and I think that song is pretty goofy, um, but it's not bad. It's <laughs> it, it's just I don't know. It, it seems like pretty middle of the road, you know. I, I'm sure Eric's got some things to say about that, um, but it wasn't one of my favorite records. I felt like okay, I'm actually either I'm outgrowing this band, or I'm just not as into them, um, or maybe they're kind of stalling out a little bit. It was one of the two. Uh, what did you think of this one, Eric? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go negative. It's just, you know, their their songs got longer. There there are a lot more diversions in them. Um, once again, if you're there for the ride, um, you might enjoy yourself. But I think they get farther and farther away from anything resembling a melody. Um, I think Maynard's vocals are, as always, good, but he's less and less interested in, like, you know, I guess rousing some sort of moments of climax of the singing, but vicarious is a very good song. I will absolutely agree with that. I also, I also enjoy writing too. Um, but all in all, um, this is kind of the beginning of, um, you know, you know, Hey, like, uh, uh, tool as, as a jam band, uh, uh, I completely understand why it works for some people but not for me. I mean, this record, you know, they definitely have some uh, feelings where you're going on in like an ayahuasca journey, but I felt like that's a little bit more appropriate for lateralis. Um, You know, they were really starting to incorporate Alex Gray's artwork um, in lateralis and that kind of carried over into this record. And um, the, you must've been high, uh, kind of refrain in the pot is goofy as fuck for me. Um, because I don't know, like if they're trying to be humorous or if they're trying to be serious, 
And I think that's where I'm just like, what's what's going on here? Like, it's like one thing if, like, uh, you have some, like, 13 minute songs amid some, like, I guess, like, more tight, determined tracks. Uh, but when, when you know, your, your bangers are still seven minutes, uh, I don't know. It just, uh, you know, maybe it's me. Maybe it's, like, the music I listen to. I, I like a, <laughs> maybe I like a tight chip. <laughs> I like yeah. uh, some well-oiled machinery and uh, 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 when people move with termination and, and, and this is more exploratory, which I think there is a real audience for that. Um, just not me. I mean, I do like some of the spacious work on here. Like the, uh, I don't it's almost like a folk song, kind of like, uh, an Irish battle jig or something that's happening on like wings for Mary and 10,000 days. Um, that kind of builds up. I, I, I appreciate that. I think that it's very interesting, like departure for them. Um, but my patience for it is not as long as it, as the band probably intends for their listener to, to stick with them as, I don't know. I, I mean, there's, songs on here that kind of go a little bit too out into left field like at the beginning of lost keys and rosetta stoned um i'm like jesus christ guys like let's fucking focus (laughs) all right i've I've heard enough i've heard enough Um, uh seen enough dave uh (laughs) exactly i've seen enough of the votes room (laughs) I actually, I didn't listen to this. I, when this album first came out, I was not in the right. I was listening to, you know, bands that Tool influenced that I was into. At the yeah, time, yeah. But I wasn't listening to Tool. I was probably going back and listening to Anima, but I wasn't listening to New Tool. Um, I didn't listen to this album until the one after it came out, 13 years later. I didn't, when Fear Inoculum came out, I was like, oh shit, I missed a other Tool album between this one and the other one. Um. I'm I'm a pretty big fan of this record, actually. Uh, I wasn't always, and uh, the last year or so has grown on me. I just think the the first two tracks are great. They're they're all timer tool songs to me. They're immediate. They just get in and they rock. Um, I think uh, for some reason, Fear and Oculum's got a pretty good rep. It's not bad. We'll talk about it in a second. But I think if you were to switch these two albums people would just think just as well of this record. I just think it's just, it came out at like the wrong time. I don't know. Um, I think Maynard's mixed really well on this album. I think on the other albums, he's in the back too much. I think on this one, they, uh, they keep him up front more. Uh, Justin Chancellor's bass work on this album is really good. It's really thick. I like it when they have a thick Justin Chancellor on the records. Um, I like it when they when they have the low end be an actual bass and not a space laser. And that is one problem on modern tool is they kind of go into that uh, Les Claypool laser bass uh, sound sometimes. You guys know what I'm talking about? They don't always do that on this album. They, they let them use a, you know, the bass sounds like a bass. And um, 
It's got some good heavy riffs, some start and stop riffs. Uh, Adam uh, does some uh, does some of his best David Gilmore by way of Dimension X guitar work on this album. Um, I, I, I dig it. Uh, it. It meanders a little bit in the middle, but I think it ends strong. It starts strong. I like the the you know that the you must have been high song. What is that? The pot. Yeah, that song is that's full of frog drums, but I, I enjoy it. Um, it's got a really good. It's, it's got on a really the radio good Maynard, too. I think it was a single too for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got a really good Maynard scream on it. Maynard when Maynard screams, like on the Grudge on Lateralis, I love it when he has a good long Maynard scream. Sure. Um, I, I like that song. Um, I enjoy this record more than I thought I would uh it, it still meanders it's that, that it's that grateful deadish wandering around until we get to the point tool quite yeah. a bit but i still think it's a good record um what's funny is that pitchfork said uh rather than delving further into er- experimentation or exploring their strengths the world's most well-loved prog metal band has made a perfect circle record and to that <laughs> i say that that's a feature, not a bug. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, 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 I think it's a good album. I, I, I dig it. I not perfect. No, but I, I enjoy it. And the first two tracks, I just love the first two songs. I mean, I think we can get into it when we talk about lateralis because there was a demarcation between anima and lateralis. And that was the fact that Maynard was able to go into perfect circle and almost do something a little bit more mainstream and focused. Um, and I think that was a little bit brought over to tool in some of the songwriting on both lateralis and then all the subsequent releases. Uh, one thing about this record and, you know, when I first heard it uh, back in 06 and I put it on and I was listening in the car with my wife and she was like, man, I want to like this, but man, it just really seems that tool has boxed themselves into like their sound, um, especially on vicarious. Uh, and I said, yeah, I kind of, I, I, I can agree with that. Like, you know, the dun, 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 you know? And I'm like, yeah, they've done that before. I agree with you. Gone are the days they can write a four minute, like just solid rock song. I mean, it's not like I don't like that because that's what I come for tool for. Um, but at the same time, like I could see that maybe they're taking the sound and they're really trying to wrench blood from a stone at this point. And I think that's one of the things of why I started to, uh, wane a little bit on where tool is going. They're still interesting, but I'm not finding anything that is like invigorating me. Like what I find on spoiler alert, Anima and lateralis. Hey, by the way, Mark, you, uh, Rosetta Stone blows my mind. I think that song's great. No, it is good. Uh, I think I was more, I think, uh, I was attributing more towards Lost Keys that, you know, it almost sounds like pure Rosetta Stone, Danny, Danny Carey, he pulls out every uh, trick in the, uh, the drum kit. Uh, yeah. You know, there's, it's got, it's got frogs and also giraffes. Yes and rhinoceroses and every other animal no that's the um, one uh god uh uh where there is that little bit of duh 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 that definitely has like a 
jam to it, but it, it definitely has Danny Carey doing his best, like Mickey Hart shit on the drums. That's, that's one of the, one of the few times <laughs> I wish we were a video podcast is seeing oh, what duh, Mark's face looked like when he did that. I just hope you sample and repeat that measure there, Mark, <laughs> when this, at the end so, of this episode. So, in, so then they release one more full-length album after this. It takes 13 years. Uh, Fear Inoculum. Frog Inoculum. But, uh, <laughs> and in between that, we'll get into their records in a minute. They Maynard does flesh out a, this weird side project that kind of existed even back to the 90s as a Mr. Show joke. I mean, what does it pronounce? Is it is a Pucifer? It's Pucifer. It's Pucifer. Yeah. Think of Lucifer, but with a P. Yeah, he, he he blows off some steam there. In addition to the Perfect Circle, and we'll talk we'll talk briefly about Perfect Circle's discography and theirs shortly. Uh, but thirteen years after Ten Thousand Days, uh, which I don't know how many days that is, but it's a lot of days. Uh, they released Fear Inoculum. They also put their albums out on streaming. Yeah, Fear, there were big holdouts for that. Mm-hmm. Fear Inoculum. I remember when that first came out, I was driving to Winters, California area, really pretty parts of California and listening to it. And just listening to it and being like, man, I like Tool, but... They're taking a long time to do whatever they're trying to do. That's uh Fear Inoculum to me is not a bad record, but my God, it just, it's yeah. the epitome of, it's the epitome of modern tool who just takes their time to do their thing. And, you know, we're, I'm listening to a rock album, but I also got to have patience. And on top of that, I feel like they started mixing Maynard in the back and I'm like, man, Maynard at least was even when they were meandering, when he would pop up again, it would be exciting. But now he's totally buried in the mix. Not a bad record. I like the majority of it. I think that, uh, that one song, uh, Tempest, I think it's called is great. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, yeah. Seventh Tempest, whatever it is. Um, it's got some great Adam Jones guitar work. It's a good record, but actually might be my least favorite. What do you guys think about Fear Knocking? Eric, I'll let you begin. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of more in the direction of where I'm really not feeling it. Um, I mean, I did, I did throw Descending and Tempest on my playlist because they are songs that get somewhere but they're they're both double digit minute tracks i i feel like there's nothing wrong with a metal band like ending with a solid 15 minute track or you know as a closer or like at the end of side a or something but i don't know i like it's not it's not a very uh concentrated album there's uh it meanders like you said too much um but i mean those two tracks we're absolutely fine, but the whole experience was not very satisfying.
Yeah, I feel like this particular album, uh, it was done by uh, the members of the board of directors of Tool. Um, I, I felt like that at certain points their heart wasn't in this, but they needed to release some product. Uh, I think even Maynard James Keenan uh, has said that there was a lot of creative struggles about getting this record off the ground. Um, he had mentioned the four of us are a lot of fucking work just to get anywhere. Everything's a fucking committee meeting and it always gets shut down. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's a very conducive. I mean, I think there was a lot of stop and starts just because there like was a 13 year gap and what you get is definitely a mixed bag. There's some good stuff on here. There's definitely some things on here that make you kind of scratch your head. That chocolate chip, like, um, where it sounds like, well, fuck it. Uh, Danny Carey just going to go in there and I'll be like, well, I'm going to put something down on wax and that's going to be on the record. And it's got to fill out the time here. Um, also, also 13 years for that album cover. I, I'm I'm sorry. I don't know. That album cover is basic cover. as fuck. You God. Know? Oh, it's so garbage. Oh God. And that's, I, this is a visual arts band. And like that album cover is like some Photoshop. No, uh, that's, that's, one, that's, that's one problem I have with them is. Um, I love this band, but the Alex Gray stuff does not appeal to me. I don't give a shit about what the inside of the psychedelic mind <laughs> looks like. I don't, you don't need, need to see your chakras lined up. Yeah. I don't, I don't need to see all these bodies into bodies or these eyeballs into eyeballs or these, like, you know, the guy that used to wear the, the skin suit that shows the organs inside of him that we had to watch when we were kids. I just, just bores the fuck out of me. Yeah. And, um, yeah. By the time they got to fear an oculum, which is not, it's not bad music, but it's just like, ah, it just seems like, like you said, Mark, by the numbers uh, tool. Mm -hmm. It's too bad for a band that's supposed to be the opposite of that. Uh, at the same time, after 13 years, nothing's going to live up to expectations. Yeah. So maybe if they put Anima Part 2 out, we still would be like, what the fuck is this? Because it took 13 years. Like, you know, it's just impossible to say. Um, I'd hope that that getting that out of their system, the next record could be a bit more of a return to form. Not yeah. that they owe us anything, but I just, no, it's, it's not bad. I don't say like, Oh, fear not I'm bad, but I'm just like, ah, that's going on last in my book. Yeah. It, it, it's difficult between me and, uh, for 10,000 days and, uh, frog inoculum in order for them to actually like be different in a police lineup. I think there's stronger material on 10,000 days, but this one for being such a long wait, I, I feel like the tool diehards had to convince themselves like it was amazing. And I was like, I'm not hearing it. I mean, it's not bad, but I'm not like my socks are still on my shoes. I don't, I don't know what to yeah. tell you, you know? No, I'd take, take 10,000 days. Or I, I feel like I can differentiate the songs on that one better. That's the other yeah. problem. If you're not, it just sounds like one long song. Either they uh, they change direction and, you know, where they go from here and they maybe tighten it up a little bit or you've got Dick Dick Dick's Picks Volume 22. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but frog drums. 
but yeah, that is uh, basically some from soup to nuts, the the tool discography and their history. And, you know, they're still around. They still have plans on um, releasing more material. They continue to say that uh, there's more in the bank. Um, they're on tour. Like I said, they just are touring as recently as this year and hoping to get back into the studio. They don't hate each other. Uh, they definitely seem to have rectified all of their legal issues uh, with record labels. Um, so they're definitely a band that is still selling out stadiums. Well, arenas, let's say arenas. Um, but uh, yeah, this last one did not necessarily light my hair on fire, despite the fact like I've heard some diehards like the song Culling Voices. They don't play that one live a lot. And when they do pull that out, uh, some fans absolutely lose their fucking minds. And I'm uh, when I listen to that song, I'm like, this song? Really? That's okay. Um, but Her? Her? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, uh, some other, some, some, some odds and ends here. Uh, I, I do want to make sure we bring up before we talk about the other two bands, their, their records is that I, I don't know what happened, but they took ISIS on tour. Yep. ISIS, big fans, big fans of the, the, the band ISIS of the USA. ISIS is a sludgier back to neurosis, neurosis influence band. Um, Adam Jones will play guitar and keyboards on one ISIS uh, album. Just uh, one song, two songs actually. But the last two ISIS albums, I felt after ISIS toured, with Tool, their last two records uh, was it Wavering Radiant and uh, oh no, the Hall of Something, uh, the Hall of the Mountain King. Uh, what was no, it called? The, 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 I would love to hear him call uh, do that. Um, one second, I know this is awesome radio. Wavering Radiant. Yeah, no, and... yeah, no. In the yeah, in the absence of truth and Wavering yeah, Radiant. Yeah, there you go. So they, they toured with Tool. Adam Jones helped them out a little bit, uh, I don't know, artistically. But those last two records definitely sound like a band that was hanging out with Tool at the time. And I love them. Uh, have you guys listened to those two albums at all? The yeah, they're great. Labor Radiant? Yeah, if anything, um, there's a big shift uh, going from like Panopticon to uh, In the Absence of Truth, where instead of like Cookie Monster vocals, uh, they're actually like singing and the singing style is very reminiscent of Maynard. And even the bass is more in the forefront, very similar to how Justin Chancellor approaches it. Uh, you still get the metal riffage and the kind of post metal uh, uh, sensibility, but they're actually including a little bit more progressive metal in there too. Yeah. I, I really, really like those albums. They sound like they could be a uh, heavier version of Tool at times, but not, yeah, not 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 in a uh, a knockoff way. I dig them. So that's your ISIS minute. But then uh, a perfect circle. I mean, how many albums they got, Mark? What they, they got, got four. Uh, they got four full lengths: Meridianoms, The Thirteenth Step, Emotive, which was a covers record that that was really designed to activate the youth to go out and vote in the John Kerry and George Bush uh, election back in 2004. Uh, didn't work out. Uh, and then Eat the Elephant, which came out in 2019, maybe 2020. 
something like that. Yeah, no, not another 13, 15 year layoff. Yeah. And that, by all intents and purposes, everyone thought Perfect Circle was uh, done. Uh, Billy Howardell, who is really the main songwriter for Perfect Circle, went off and did a record called Ashes Divide. Uh, it was basically a solo record. Um, but you had um, Maynard's son, Devo, actually appear on that record, along with Danny Loner from Nine Inch Nails and other things. Danny, like Perfect Circle, is it's a rotating uh, hodgepodge of folks. You had James Eha. I think he's still in there uh, from what, Smash what albums was what, what albums was he on? Uh, 13th Step and on. Uh, so he, he's been on 13th Step, Emotive, and Eat the Elephant. Um, Tim okay, and that's, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, uh, Tim Alexander uh, from Perfect or from Primus was only on a few songs on Meridanoms. Uh, they also had a woman. Uh, her name was Paz Lection or something like that. She was the violinist and the bass player, but she only was on one record, Meridanoms. David Fincher did the uh, directing for the first video for Judith. On that, uh, Maynard's wearing wigs. Uh, you know, he always wears wigs. Essentially, he's bald as fuck, and um, he always wears wigs when he performs live. Um, can I uh, can I just mention on Meredith Noms? Uh, yeah. Well, actually, Perfect Circle in general. I actually ended up rather enjoying Perfect Circle. I feel like uh, Billy, what's his name, Helderell? Uh, Howardell. 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 He, I think he actually has a pretty decent grasp on, on like writing a catchy, yeah. like melody. Uh, I think he's playing up when he came from this world, like being a nine inch nail sound guy, like, like he's playing up, I guess what worked about like, say like your Cleopatra records, goth rock of the nineties, mm-hmm. but doing it on a big scale. Um, and, uh, and I remember at the time, not really paying him much attention, but like in this re-listen, I rather like those first two records are great. They're great. Uh, really good. Really They're good. Really good. And, uh, the song The and, Noose on the 13th Step is an oh, old yeah. timer. That's Danny Loader track too. Uh, Nine Inch Nails, Danny Loader, uh, all over that track. Mm-hmm. And yeah, both 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 records are good. I think Maynard, like his little vocal exercises, really work for that band. Like it's a good match, it's a good fit. I, I really like those first two records of Perfect Circle a lot. I did not get, and I'm not disparaging the other two. I just didn't get that far, and I and I actually will go ahead and listen to those uh, moving forward. Perfect Circle has a special place in my heart because I felt like when they came out, I was like, oh man, this tool off shoots like its own thing, but tied to nine snails. This is awesome. And uh, yeah, they were, they were good. That first album's good. The first album has some great songs on it. I, the production on it though. I don't know if it's my memories of hearing it for the first time or if the production is really bad, but the production on it reminds me of like a badly downloaded MP3. Yeah, um, that first one, right? That first one, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Right. There's something just not there. Yeah, just something. Yeah, just it feels like it's just uh, digital moths have eaten through the record. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a good album. Maynard's vocals are good. And yeah, you know, it was written for a female, and he went with Maynard. And way back earlier in this podcast, we talked about how Maynard could be a soulful singer. I think it's a perfect fit. Um, I like that first album. I think the song Magdalene is great. Yeah. Um, there's a definite, there's a definite cure vibe. Yeah. Uh, uh, going through a uh, perfect circle, but 13th step. That's the shit. That's an all timer. In my opinion, uh, the first three tracks are awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the package when the riff kicks in, uh, everything sounds fuller and the, the production's better. It's fun to have Danny loner there. Um, the song, the noose though, the damn near perfect song. Uh, that's a, a great song. It's probably their best song in my opinion. Yeah. Um, there's a, yeah, it just his delivering cadence of some lyrics is, is great. It's fun to hear Maynard sing with a more, I mean, uh, Billy Howardell's a great guitar player and he, he is alternative, but he's, he, he's a little bit more down to earth than Adam Jones. So it's here. It's fun to hear Maynard on some more, uh, uh, less abstract music. Um, yeah, uh, both those records meander in the, the middle a little bit, but I think end strong. Um, what do you think about those first two, Mark? They're great. I mean, um, I I was waving the flag for a perfect circle. I, I do agree. The production work on Meredith Noms is head-scratching. Uh, the song Three Libras is also a great uh, vocal performance, uh, another swelling string song um, that also had a video for that. And... Uh, 13 step, uh, they did this really pretty fan engagement where they encouraged a lot of their fans to actually release, um, you know, music videos for each of the tracks on there. They would select them and put them on YouTube and do like, uh, nine inch nails kind of did something similar for this as well. They really tried to engage the fans and, um, it was around this time when we saw them alive, uh, they were headlining, um, and we saw them at the Memorial auditorium can't remember who opened for them, but they didn't. This was during the Meridanoms uh, phase. They didn't really have a oh, whole lot of material. It was Snake River Conspiracy. Who That's did that okay. It was Snake of, River. Yeah. Because there was rumors yeah, that they were going to go on tour with like Mars Volta or something like that. Yeah. Snake, but it was River, Snake River Conspiracy doing, doing that ridiculous cover of the uh, Morrissey song. How yep. Soon is now. The Smiths, How Soon Is Now. Yeah. Um, but they, uh, Perfect Circle did do some covers. They did um, Ashes to Ashes by David Bowie, which was pretty awesome. That's right. That was a great cover. That, yep. That was an incredible cover. They Why that didn't it? Well, I guess a motive. You can find that on uh, the streams. There is a few um, live material of Perfect Circle that you can find, and you'll you'll find Ashes to Ashes there. It's probably, it's probably half the reason why I love that song, is the song is great, but also that cover really is just something, man. Yeah. And then another song that got him into a little bit of a sticky wicket uh, was uh, when Maynard was working with Trent and that never saw the light of day, the tapeworm project. There was a song called vacant that they uh, reinterpreted and called it passive. And that did find a home on the emotive album. And um, it's not bad. It's not bad. Um, It's, I would have loved to hear like what it would have been like in its final form with Trent, but yeah, apparently it just didn't pass uh quality control. So we'll never see it. Um, didn't, wasn't there uh, another, another tapeworm song that found its way to, to Pussifer? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Potions. 
potions. Maybe. Yeah, I think you're right, actually, now that I think about that. You know what? I'll ask Trent about it when I see him later today because it's 1 a.m. That is Uh, true. uh, I know. Uh, We're burning the midnight oil, folks. Uh, The beds are burning. Those first two are good. That emotive... Oh my God. I, it's not bad. It's got a bad rap. I mean, I think emotive is disparaged because it was released back and people bought music still. Yeah. And I would be upset if I bought it uh, as a free thing that was streamed. Eh, not terrible. Probably could have been an EP, not the best covers album I've ever heard. Uh, the replicants are way better in my opinion. Their version of uh, people are people is uh, goofball shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. The, 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 when the levee breaks is okay. Uh, their version of imagine I actually like, um, yeah, it's not bad. But, it's a little like doom and gloom. It's not bad. Yeah. It's not that, that, that emotive cover album isn't great. No, I, I don't know. I I'm not sure because I don't have my finger on the, uh, the, the trades like I used to. I don't know where popular consensus falls on the eat the elephant album, but I yeah. really like it. I, I like it. It's got it's, a lot of space on there. It's a lot of piano work. It's, uh, it's, it's it's different. It's not rocking. No, I think I think it sounds like uh, I think I think Eat the Elephant sounds like what Maynard thinks Pussifer sounds like. Yeah, um, I do think that it, Existential it, Reckoning and Eat the Elephant are kind of sister albums, and that's the Pussifer latest record. Yeah, yeah, I I, I like that song uh the farewell to the fish or whatever it's like an upbeat song yeah that's a good um, one uh so long and thanks for the fish i think is what it's called yeah mm-hmm. i think the the song called the doomed is good um that by and down the river is good um i like the song hourglass i actually like i, I liked it way more than i thought i would it's it doesn't sound like the first two albums at all it sounds like a different band completely except for maynard's vocals it's a lot more bloops and bleeps a lot more spacious, a lot more pianos. It's not bad though. No. Terrible album cover. Worst worst Goof, album cover I've ever seen. I it's like <laughs> is that one of Penguin's henchmen eating an octopus? It's ridiculous. Still still better than Fear Inoculum, but Well, Fear Inoculum looks like it was done in an <laughs> afternoon. It was like, "Oh shit, that's due today." <laughs> <laughs> but Eric, if you if you if you only have time for for one of them, uh, I'd listen to the Eat the Elephant before you listen to that covers album. Uh, Sounds good. I I, yeah, I will came, continue to explore Perfect Circle. Yeah, it you came should. out after a long a long layoff, but I something about that album really clicks with me. It's strangely upbeat at times, even when the lyrics are dour. Um, but gentlemen, that's where I depart because I I mean I'll listen to you guys talk about it. I, I gave them one run through. I could barely tolerate it. I don't know. Ever since I even heard of the existence of Pussifer or Pussify or whatever it is. Yeah. It's annoyed me. And, no, even when I tried and to that's fair. It, that's fair. And it, you know what? It's not, it sounded like, like they want to be the thinking man's bloodhound gang. Like I don't uh-huh. fucking get it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, I, there's a video um, that has uh, it's just this is Maynard's like way to dress up. I think that he wants to have like some sort of improv group uh, that also has some elements of music. And by the way, you know, Maynard also has a um, a winery out in Arizona and you can watch a documentary called Blood into Wine. And a lot of the, that documentary has the music of Pussifer in there. 
it's not a bad documentary. I, I do recommend it if you want to be entertained. Um, you know, Bob Odenkirk, friend of the show, Tim and Eric, friend of the show, Patton Oswalt, friend I'll, of the show, I'll they all show it. up. It's, it's good. Yeah. I think you can find it on Prime Video or something like that. Um, but to that point, uh, this is like Maynard, you know, where he likes to dress up like some country singer from, you know, 1970. Um, you know, he, that character finds its way in Pussifer. I mean, the, the records are Vias for Vagina, um, Conditions of My Parole, which that album covers. Half their, by the way, album covers, half their album covers look like, like, like my stupid cousins, like memes that he would post yes. like 10 years ago. Look ridiculous. <laughs> GeoCities nonsense. Um, Conditions of My Parole, though, it looks like it was like a Mr. Show sketch. Um, money shot, uh, which has two well-known actors on the, on the front cover, um, meaning they appear in like shit, like Pulley and dynamite and sons of anarchy and, uh, that sort of thing. And they happen to be in the video, uh, uh, off that record and Actually, existential really reckoning, don't. which is a little bit more serious. Okay. So I listened to existential reckoning most recently. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't fully pay attention to it, mm-hmm. but I kind of enjoyed I didn't, I didn't, I didn't turn it off, Right. but trying to listen to the rest of it, I was just like, what? It's fun to have a sense of humor here, but the same guys that were making good, funny jokes back in Anima, I mean, this just sounds like the disposable, like uh TikTok version of that. Yeah. When with you got like Maynard talking extent. about, she's got the thickness and things like that. It's just like, all right, man. With, with the exception of country wood. Country Which boner. And now country or, boner. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You uh, showed us that one on a late night after and we you guys were appalled. Sales episode. Yeah. No, um, I loved it. I loved I I I was I I that, think that that's some funny shit. Uh the country boner and I it doesn't translate, but I do think that Maynard does a pretty good job of selling it. Like uh I will put a clip of it right here. Fuck Loretta Lynn, fuck Barbara Mandrell, and I'm fucked all over again. I fuck Minnie Pearl, I fucked Elvis Presley's little girl. I fucked the Judge. You fucked the Judge? Hell yeah, my country boner. It won't go down, it won't go down, it won't go down. That was country boner. Um, <laughs> it reminds me of uh, Cock Mobster by Paul Berman, where he's just talking about all the famous people that he's imaginary fucks. Janet yeah, Rogers, fuck Garth Brooks, or something like that. And yeah. So good. So good. <laughs> I mean, con- Conditions of My Parole is a good album title. I'll give him that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> and that character, yeah, I, I and that's the same character in the country boner video, and that also shows up in other videos. Like that's that's his go-to. It's it's madness, but sure, man, knock yourself out. Job, knock yourself out, man. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, though, Tool, stellar discography. Even their weakest album is still worth listening to, and uh, their first half of their career is all-timer status. And uh, yeah, we have we have a, one more record to go through track by track, which is uh, spoiler alert. It's one of the good ones. But uh, yeah, I, I, I they they will 
even when I'm not in the mood for Tool, if I stumble upon them, I'm happy I did. The 90s stuff uh, is just incredible to me. And uh, the frog drum stuff of this century, it's still good enough to where I'll put it on every once in a while and, and enjoy it. Yeah. And no, they're circle, uh, more, more good than bad. Yeah. I mean, I will always enjoy Manor James Keenan and his antics. And of course, Tool is a very powerful and uh, nostalgic band that I feel that does carry through into a lot of my influences today. Um, I think they're a great gateway band. And um, yeah, I, I love them. And I know that their fans can be absolutely the most despicable people on the face of this earth that clearly don't get the message. Uh, Tool uh, live shows, uh, sometimes it's buyer beware. You're going to go in for a great show, but you're going to be rubbing elbows with some of the fucking backwards hats, knuckleheads that just want to fuck shit up. And, uh, uh, whenever they get a little bit more introspective, the band, um, they are not here for it. And it's just, eh, it, it's sometimes not a great place to be. Um, and I think the band themselves are aware of that. And I think they do try to continue to push the envelope to try to push those people out. But, you know, it is what it is. Eric, any last parting thoughts before we, uh, we say our goodbyes? No, I mean, listen, they're, they're not lighting all my fires, but uh, they've lit a few and I got to give them credit for that. And even the ones that don't, they're lighting somebody's fire because they're a very, very uh, uh, technically apt band. And uh, Maynard's certainly a character and they deserve the respect. Absolutely. Yeah. Very good. And, 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 I, and I, again, Enema, if I were told to just, you know, Steve, you can just have one more album. That's it. That might be the one. I'm telling you, that record, out of all the records we've talked about on these podcasts, that I'm like, this is a perfect album. That one might actually be a perfect album. Oh, I love that record. And I think sure. I, I didn't want to put one right down Broadway, and I think that's why I didn't pick that one. Um, I could have, but I didn't. But if, I mean, if if uh, Dare to be Stupid by Weird Al was not, uh, didn't exist... Uh, sure. Yeah, that is true. Remember. There is nothing for topping that achievement. Have you guys watched the trailer for the Weird Al movie? Look, man, I oh, don't want to be great. spoiled I, about what's going to be a masterpiece. Just give me the full meal. I don't need the amuse-bouche. Yeah, I don't have a fucking Roku player, though. Like, how the fuck are we supposed to watch it? That's the Roku channel, I'm sure, has an app or something. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's on, it's on Hulu. Will it be on Tubi? <laughs> I think you have to have a Roku to watch it. That is no, nonsense. No. If you listen, uh, I'll let you use my Crackle account. <laughs> good. Oh, boy. So good. All right. All right, folks. guys. Love you. It's time, fucking late as hell. Late as shit. Jesus Christ. God damn it. Thank God. Well, we got it done. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, that was our tool talk. And. As always, we hope that we brought you more power. Oh, 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 oh. A quick 90 minutes. <laughs> Toodaloo. Uh, toodles. Tool Toodle.